You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Frank White is a free man. How come you never came to see me? Who wanted to see you in a cage, man? In a place of corruption. We're just a bunch of street punks. Nobody's watching us. We're free. In a time of change. Every new idea, every movement forward was at one time or another criminal and outlawed. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjack, no dope deals, no nothing. You're waiting years for this. Three brothers shared a dream of power. It's a war. Oh, and it's costing both sides a great deal of money. Sounds to me like uh, you're trying to bust up the union. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we're bringing martial arts to the people. Join the sleaze. <laughs> We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over three years. There's something like 90-something bonus episodes, as well as our bonus transmission series, where we talk about like new release genre films, which we uh, have recently been doing a lot of because the movies yeah. are back, baby. Finally. We just did one on M. Night's uh, Old recently. Uh, but so yeah, if you haven't uh, made the jump yet, patreon.com slash Lizoid's podcast, definitely consider doing that. And speaking of which, we do have a number of people to give their shout outs this week. Awesome. Uh, we have uh, Dan E. Smith, who signed up at the uh, the, the annual pledge rate. Oh, awesome. Uh, which is, Thank uh, you. The, we, we've had a couple people signing up annually, which is pretty cool, because uh, I just kind of threw it in there. I was like, yeah, sure, let's give people the option. People wanted the option, apparently. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so thanks, Dan. Uh, other signups include... Uh, Tom Perone uh, signing up at the $10 a month is uh, Havlite, um, who probably joined us for the uh, virtual screenings we do at the end of the month. Uh, for a $10 patrons, which is always a lot of fun. What did we do? We did Nightmare. Nightmare. It's one of like the grossest, goriest movies I've yeah, seen in a, a long time. Yeah, it has a hell of a decapitation. So yeah, it's, it, yes. it, it, that was a wild ride. Really gross slasher from the early 80s that reminded me more of like the uh, really sleazy grindhouse 70s um, oh, yeah. kind of psychological descent style movies, but just with like Italian horror gruesomeness. Yep. Those um, video nasties. We also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest video nasties. Mm-hmm. What did what did we see when we looked that up that it had that the guy, um, the, the guy, ref, the distributor refused to cut even a single second from the film and actually had to serve time. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. In the UK was what we read. Yeah. What a so, badass. That's very metal. <laughs> uh, we have uh, hideous conk, uh, Shane, uh, Michael James Benson, Caleb Stern, uh, Wesley Eddings, uh, Eon McGuire, Ryan Chang, uh, Matt Daniel, and Dan Malinowski. So thanks so much to uh, all of you guys. Hope you are all enjoying um, the bonus episodes. Yes, uh, thank that's you. the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I see the stats, I know that you are. Scroll down to the very bottom right now as you're listening and give us a rating and review down there. Helps us uh, climb the ranks over at iTunes and find new listeners. 
And then the last plug is uh, merch. If you guys like the uh, the poster art that uh, horror artist Trevor Henderson, based out of Toronto, did for uh, the show, you can get that, once again, put on basically anything you want. A shirt, a hoodie, a pillow, uh, a notebook. Yes. Uh, basically anything you can think of, you can basically uh, get it printed onto that if you just want the poster. I think Jamie and I both have uh, post- uh, posters for our places. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're interested in that at all. Uh, the link is down in the description and also at sleezoidspodcast.com. And whew, all right, we, we kind of did a speed run through the intro this week. Welcome yeah. back. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us, and we would have had a special uh, returning guest, three-time returning guest, the pod daddy of Chapo Trap House himself, <laughs> Will Meneker, came on, and he talked uh, uh, Hong Kong filmmakers making their American debuts with films starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, which sounds like a very hyper-specific double feature that couldn't possibly suit two movies, but it absolutely does, and that was yes. Hard Target from 1993, directed by John Woo. And Double Team from 1997. <laughs> One of the weirdest uh, things we've ever watched, but a lot of fun. Directed by Troy Hark and also uh, co-starring alongside Van Damme is uh, uh, Chicago <laughs> Bulls, uh, Dennis Rodman. Yes. <laughs> and there's plenty was, of uh, basketball references and metaphors. <laughs> so many basketball puns, despite the fact that Dennis Rodman is is ne- not actually playing himself and the character has nothing otherwise to do with basketball yeah. in the rest of the film. He just... <laughs> really likes making puns about it um, <laughs> metatextually. But yeah, we had a lot of fun breaking down those two um, films with Will. Very uh, very strange uh, uh, Eastern-influenced American action film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, who uh, uses his thighs at every opportunity that he possibly can. Oh yeah, those are weapons. Yes, and then last week for the bonus listeners, uh, we did uh, one of our um, runner-up patron voted uh, episodes because we were feeling bad at how often this uh, double feature kept placing like second place. We've basically <laughs> done like six or seven voted episodes and this movie placed second place. Basically there's double feature placed second place almost every single time. So we just decided to throw it in because it was from our patron uh, out of Norway, Olav, and he's been wanting us to do this double feature for a long time. So we talked about one, uh, Tony Scott's the hunger mm. with, uh, David Bowie, Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, a really, really stylish um, film about the loneliness of of vampires and the idea of um, vampires as, uh, you know, uh, as, you know, addicts in in a way, uh, which paired really, really well with Abel Freire's The Addiction, which is uh, honestly kind of like the same premise from 1995, kind of a decade later. But it's the same idea as sort of vampirism as addiction, as indicated by the title, but obviously done in a very, you know, Tony Scott kind of has that uh, that very beautiful music video existentialism to the style of his film, whereas Abel Ferreira's is this much uh, much inkier, uh, street-level, handheld version of, uh, you know, addicts on the streets of New York. Um, and he also throws that in there with, like, philosophy and genocide and academia and <laughs> all kinds of things, because Abel Ferreira, he can't be stopped. No. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so that was a, you know, a really crazy episode for us to do, and thanks to Olaf for, for nominating that and, you know, throwing, you know, throwing us into that. But that, that actually inspired 
this week's episode. So by the way, anyone who hasn't, uh, sleezoidspodcast.com or sleezoidspodcast.com as well as patreon.com slash sleezoidspodcast for last week's episode. But last week's episode was huge inspiration for us um, for this week's episode because uh, we talked about Abel Ferreira. And uh, this is actually, uh, we talked about Abel Ferreira a little bit earlier in the year too when we did Bad Lieutenant. We've been having an Abel Ferreira year. It's kind of the zone we felt in a little bit. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And uh, there's an episode... (laughs) There's an episode that I've always wanted to throw in here and haven't really had an opportunity um, to do yet. Basically, this episode was planned since like the early days of the podcast and it just didn't never really made sense to do. But I have a very special guest uh, joining us to talk about these two films and I maybe let him introduce the films. Uh, Special returning guest who last time he was on uh, was on what was, I think, it might not it might be the record i think still for the longest episode we did that wasn't like a best of the year episode because we just couldn't stop talking to our friend and that is rob franco rob how you doing hey now what's up <laughs> welcome back welcome back last time Thanks you were here we were talking me. we were talking uh, scarface and carlito's way we were talking yep. uh, gangsters and uh, we we just we, we we couldn't shut up about it so what are we talking this week rob we're talking gangsters. What? <laughs> and, and, and we're not going to be able to shut up about it, I don't think, this time either. <laughs> Like that's that's kind of what I assumed. We were like, you know, if, if, the, if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it, right? That's the, that's no, the deal. No, it's you a know? perfect formula, <laughs> <laughs> We got Rob, and we're talking gangsters. All right, Rob, what are we talking this week? We're talking King of New York. We're talking The Funeral. We're talking Walking. We're talking Ferreira. <laughs> How's that? He's right. It's perfect. That's exactly okay. how Ferrero would have said summary. it. I watched a lot of interviews. No, he, with he, he, he would have been like, "You dig? Listen, you, you dig? Yeah. Come on, don't butcher. I was doing the bit. You didn't have to do the bit. Come on. Yeah. He, he would say, "You dig? So, so we're talking about fucking uh, the fucking film. You can sit and watch. You dig? I, I yeah. fucking. That's guy. exactly what he sounds like. The fucking guys, you know, I, 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 I don't really know what you, you want me to talk about. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Anyway, I watched a lot of really great interviews with with him for these films, especially King of New York, which we'll get into some of his complex. Yeah, yeah, we'll, think, we'll, we'll the get film. there. We'll get there. <laughs> but yes, following up our talk on the addiction last week, I really wanted to stay in our Ferrera zone, and these are two Ferreras I want to talk about forever because King of New York. Probably known as, um, you know, at the time, I don't think it was um, known as his, you know, strongest or most popular film. I actually think when he played the New York Film Festival, he had like mass walkouts during that film. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It, it is crazy. But yeah, it's now it's not that in, controversial. In, in, no, in, in, in retrospect, it's, you know, I think recognized as you know obviously one of his best films but also one of the ones that's like kind of like the most like beautifully and more like classically kind of done like it's more um it's it's got more um i don't even want to say traditional but it's got more style to it in the way that like for example when we've been talking we've talked a lot about his early stuff like driller killer miss 45 even leading up to Mm. bad lieutenant even leading up to the addiction yeah, you know those are very, um, very grotesque, handheld. Uh, yeah. You know he he likes to do a lot of um, imp- improvisation and, and things like that. And King of New York is very, um, uh, we'll say, 
just very gorgeous, lots of beautiful like dolly and tracking mm-hmm. shots, lighting setups of, of neon that he basically like never created in the rest of his career because Bad Lieutenant was like all shot gorilla style because he just loves that kind of like feral energy of doing that with the, yeah, the crew. Yeah, um, so King of New York is, a, is it, yeah, it's a it's a bit different. So we'll we'll get in get into that. But I do think that it is uh, you know as a showcase for Christopher Walken, it is probably my favorite Christopher Walken uh, easily, performance. Easily, yeah, and uh, which makes it a good pairing with um, the funeral from 1996, which came out six years later and is a is actually a period gangster film um also bringing back christopher walken but bringing him back as uh, a set of uh, co-leads uh with with a bunch of his gangster brothers including uh chris penn who plays one of them r.i.p and um the great vincent, vincent gallo, gallo. <laughs> yes yeah. and abel ferrero and vincent gallo is an insane combination of uh personalities and i'm not surprised it wasn't recreated i'm not sure that those guys oh uh, yeah would have would have uh had a great time together on set they're too similar <laughs> in a way well fucking we'll get to it but uh, but ferrero was constantly trying to rob vincent gallo on set <laughs> yes He's always cracked out, just like trying to steal his shit. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> Which, like, that good. Great, uh, toxic Which work good. I mean, if I was around Vincent Gallo, that would be the 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 first thing I'd want to do is rob him. Just pickpocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vincent of Gallo. course. <laughs> anyway, have you, have, have you seen Vincent Gallo's website at all recently, Rob? Yeah, where you can like uh, buy his semen. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. I'm an artist. I wait. Yeah, really quick. If we're gonna go in the Gallo rabbit hole, I uh, I probably even shouldn't be saying it. But I have a friend who uh, he got into his DMs. Oh no! It got it got weird, and she's she was kind of buying into his his bullshit, and she kept coming to okay. me. I was like, "Why are you talking to Vincent Gallo?" And she was like, you just talked on the phone for two hours. I was like, run, run. You need to run. That's terrifying. So, uh, ladies, uh, if you've, you've got big tits, DM Vincent Gallo. He'll respond. Damn. Yeah, I, I DM'd him, but I was mostly asking him what he thought of Michael Mann's black hat, and he never responded. No, he probably so. called you a pig. No, he, yeah, yeah. damn. Damn, that's he, he's probably face. showing it all to girl, all the girls he's DMing. He, he's like, Look at this guy. He's dude. a dirty pig. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to him. We're already digressing. This is how this is how Rob is the king of yeah. long episodes, and we're gonna we're gonna get this going again. But yeah, so this Sorry. week we're gonna be talking about Abel Ferreira, which honestly, Abel Ferreira, I think. You know, I don't think he appreciates anyone talking about his films, but if he were to appreciate anyone talking about his films, he would appreciate us doing uh, insane tangents talking about uh, Vincent Gallo in people's DMs. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and selling his semen on his website, which you can go and buy. Uh, would, if anyone unless, wants unless to, with me, black, do a crowdfunding right? scenario. Yes. The, <laughs> isn't that one of the rules of the Vincent Gallo semen is you cannot be black? Yes, uh, there are a whole Jesus. bunch of, of rules where he Before basically wants to... Before you get mad at me, that's Vincent Gallo. That's yes, not... he, he, he wants to create a bunch of little tiny Vincent Gallos that you can pay I, for, but, yeah. but only yeah. if you're anyway. uh, continuing the, the white jeans. Jesus yeah. I think no Jews either, so <laughs> I, I think that's also part of it. <laughs> Abel would definitely appreciate this episode. Um, yeah, of course. So... 
yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about King of New York, 1990, the funeral, 1996. But I think we are going to just jump right into it this week. We are going to start off with King of New York. A quarter million dollar contract on anyone involved in this case. The cops tried to stop him their way. I'm not your problem. I'm just the businessman. Now they'll have to do it his way. There's only one way to get Frank. Christopher Walken, King of New York. You expected to get away with killing all these people? I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. All right, we are talking King of New York, the 1990 American neo-noir gangster thriller film starring Christopher Walken, David Caruso, Victor Argo, Larry Fishburne, before he was uh, Lawrence, uh, Wesley Snipes, uh, a, a, a crazy cast. I mean, uh, yeah. Steve Buscemi is in there for like a scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The great test tube. Yes. Uh, a lot of these people got uh, pretty decent careers after they did this film, which is, um, I think, I think uh, David Crusoe and Wesley Snipes in particular uh, credit this this film with kind of like being a, a good jumping off point for you know Wesley Snipes would go on to do like New Jack City and David Crusoe I think got a television show off of uh, showing this to the auditions and stuff like that. So a lot of actors were very happy to be working um, with. Ferreira, and he got a lot of really great performances out of them, which we will definitely get yeah. into. But for anyone who hasn't seen uh, King of New York, uh, very loosely, I mean, part of this conversation, I think, is going to be kind of like the plot versus the style a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because I think that the film is doing a lot of what it's doing with its sense of mood and with its sense of uh, sitting with the characters in their isolation and things like that, versus like, you know, you describe this film to someone else and you could you, you could see how it could be like this, uh, just this absolute uh, rollicking ride of a gangster film about a former drug lord who gets out of prison and immediately is like, I'm gonna, in three days, take over New York City, baby. I'm gonna John Gotti this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, decides that also, you know, he's going to, uh, he, he's got a little bit of a heart of gold, he decides. And he's going to not only take over the New York crime syndicate, he's going to redistribute that wealth among uh, New York's poor and lower classes uh, at the same time. And obviously, he, you yeah. know, Abel Ferreira is a director of uh, a lot of character complexity and a lot of, uh, as we've talked about many times with him, uh, you know, a little, he's, he's got a, a bleakness and sometimes a nihilism uh, to him, even though obviously he, he cares a lot about um, his, his characters. You feel a lot of his characters, but a lot of his characters are in bad situations. And this is no uh, exception. Uh, we will say that Christopher Watkins. Uh, Robin Hood style twist on kind of like a 30s gangster movie uh, doesn't go particularly well. And uh, <laughs> no. we will get into the specifics of, 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 of that. But yeah, this is a really, really great film. And, you know, we've talked, we talked about Carlito's way with, um, with Rob and we did uh, recently on the show, deep cover as well. Um, and I think that those three in Carlito, by the way. Yeah. What's the, those three, a, I think yeah. are my gangster films of, of the nineties. Those are the ones that I watch the most. Those are the ones I find myself returning to, even though obviously there's, you know, there was some amazing stuff in that time, like casino and Goodfellas and the Scorsese ones. And, you know, but like for some reason, those three don't get talked about as much and they absolutely should be. So we're yeah. going to make the case here. I think 
Got the the Josh Lewis stamp. That's the canon, baby. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but Rob, yeah, what, is, what is what is what is your experience with King of New York? When was the first time you watched it? I watched it. So I got on my my Ferrera shit like uh, senior year of college, and I I think Movie was doing like some retrospective or whatever. So I threw on King of New York, and the the first thing that like just really was striking to me was walking i was just mm-hmm. like blown away by this guy because uh, i i've never seen him do anything like this i mean he's kind of one of those guys he he's such a talented actor and he has so much versatility but like i mean with that impression that classic walking impression he's kind of become like this typecast joke you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, people, the, people the, like the, doing the voice yeah of course <laughs> And, like, there's so much more to him than that. And then you see him as, like, this 90s gangster. I mean, like, if you, if you look at this with the funeral, and we're not there yet, like, the funeral seems like a classic walk-in performance. Like, that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. This is, like, uh, unlike anything I would have expected from him uh, when I first saw this. And so that was, like, really big for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that that's definitely a huge part of this movie is that it, it's um you know like there are a couple of you know some of the more eccentric walk walkinisms I guess that you you could throw in there like saying the dance moves for example yeah. they're historic they're iconic they're oh, great yes. um, you know that, how that I love money <laughs> he's got some great lines you know how I love money um, but yeah and also you know he's doing like Michael Jackson moves and stuff like that and oh, yeah. meeting with everyone but the, the thing that's so I think important about this film is that he only ever is that walking and like doing that kind of like giggling that he does like I love Ferrer's uh, close up on him putting that glove on and things like that yeah. and doing like the little giggling that he's doing and yeah, just kind yeah. of excited to be back in the world but like it's so important to this film that you have, for example, like the opening scene of the film before you see that, like that is so clearly the person that he presents to people versus the person. Yeah. Versus the person he actually is. Like when we first see walking in this film, the first shot of the movie is him behind the prison bars, um, that he's in like a shadow kind of blank faced. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and you know, and then there's a shot of, you know, through the bars as it swings open, as he's, you know, walking past like screaming inmates and, you know, in this maximum security prison, which by the way is a very famous or infamous New York prison where they actually did do all of the state's, um, capital punishment executions until the early two thousands. So there's a lot of great, um, you know, obviously location work is fair and knows the city so well, but he specifically wanted this like very infamous maximum security prison to get, you know, what is this completely wordless and like musicless opening of just a completely blank faced walk in, like almost like living like a monk in this maximum security prison and then being just led out in this very matter of fact way, you know, through the neutral looking prison into like this black hearse looking limo that's waiting for him outside and then just driven back into, um, the city. And it's so interesting because like the, the images there are more, um, like, what you would be accustomed to with Ferreira than the like very lush, colorful, like tracking shots when he actually like makes his way into like, you know, the actual hotel when he stays in the Plaza Hotel, for example, which is something he brings up a lot. I love how he's like, it's such I'm a staying flex. at the Plaza Hotel. 
it's uh, it's uh, it's the biggest flex of all time. I love that yes. uh, that introduction too to the to the hotel room because he does a lot of really slow pans over like the expensive champagne and then over his uh, his uh, one girlfriend that's in lingerie and all that. So it kind of shows his uh, luxurious I, I, I taste. I love and lifestyle. that you had to specify you had to specify one girlfriend. One, yes, yes, yes. Walking to he has like three like more than he's like four girlfriends in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. And they're all like, there's a part where uh, I think after he's with the one girlfriend, he goes to the window and the other girlfriend comes up and then puts his gun inside his holster for him. So he has just everybody doing everything for him. Uh, and he, it just, you know, right away establishes a, a, a leader. Of sorts. Well, yeah, his, his his sense of power and control, that's all that that opening montage is, because right. as soon as the style kicks in, it's like cross-cutting basically between, you know, like his his goons going around on the street, um, killing people for him because he's now at a prison and he's back in power. Right. And, you know, like there's this, there's this moment where he is... Someone, for example, who goes to all these sort of lavish parties and stuff like that. But the opening is him driving around in the limo looking outside. Right, just looking at looking, the city. Yeah, and just looking at, you know, sort of like the garbage and, you know, the dealing and, Almost you know, all of the... And- yeah, and, and just looking at, you know, the, the, the New York that exists so that the uh the other new york which is you know him going to for example at one point in the film he goes to a play where basically the play recreates the exact same lighting of his limo drive and it's yeah. like you know like cops like shooting a black man and stuff like that right, like right. in the play and then it's all of the you know people in their nice clothing getting up and cheering <laughs> and clapping at the play and everything like that and walking is like that's just what the, that's not, that's yeah, not he art. That's just bored. what I see when I drive around outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the yeah. new Lin-Manuel Miranda play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also yes. think there's it. something to be said about that. Like we just mentioned where it, it cuts to that one shot of the guy. Um, like he, he's getting killed in the phone booth and there's something about yes. how just sporadic and quick the violence happens in this film uh really throughout too we'll have, we'll have another mo- uh, a few other moments that we'll get into more specifics but um like everything is just so sudden in this scene he gets into the phone booth and they just trap him in there and just start shooting away glasses splattering everywhere it's it's just chaos it's and and the yeah, that and, kind and of the violence sudden goes insert shots film. The sudden insert shots of like a pistol or a shotgun just like entering frame and like him cutting between them all and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really brutal stuff. And apparently, too, this film had to be trimmed or else uh, it had the NC-17. So there's probably a version of this movie (laughs) that, you know, was even nastier than what we have. And it's pretty it's pretty, you know, sudden and filthy as is. He went driller killer mode and King of New York. That's unreal. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, do you know what he took out? It was just uh, like ex- extra blood and shit. Uh, I I don't know. He doesn't talk about it much because this is maybe a good way to bring this up. I've watched a lot of interviews with him trying to like get a sense of you know. I was trying to get a little bit of background information on on the film and some of his shooting of it, and it's very funny. He he has he talks almost very negatively about the movie. Interesting. Uh, which is very, very, yeah, it's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, we're talking so lovingly about it and, you know, yeah. it's got such a cult following since then. And he's, you know, he's actually aware of the cult following. And for, for him, he saw it as kind of like, I guess, 
I don't, it's not not the exact wording that he uses, but he calls it like his bougie film, his sellout film. Like he wanted oh, to prove really? he he wanted to prove that he could make you know like the kinds of movies that people said that he couldn't make. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay, and so so he's looking back on it now, and um, he sees it. I guess like as like it's a not little. His. A little, a little, just cer- well. I mean, because Nicholas St. John wrote it, wrote it too, right? And Nicholas yeah, St. John yeah. was his regular collaborator. So there, you that, know, there's a lot of this. Is when they stopped working together, right? No. I think so. No, no, no. Um, no, the funeral. Bo- the funeral. The funeral. The funeral. Okay. Yeah, but you could definitely. I, maybe we can get into that. I guess when we talk about the funeral, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- that was probably part of it too. Um, but definitely, you could tell that that Saint John and him were hitting on a lot of similar themes together. They oh, were in yeah. a similar zone together. But I think that stylistically, you know, because Ferrera also worked with uh, Bojan um, Bazelli too, who shot who shot the film. They ended up working on like uh, shit. What else did they do together? Um, Body Snatchers, China mm. Girl. Body um, Snatchers is another film like that for him where he kind of was like, this This was my bougie sellout film. It, it is, but what's so interesting is that you can <laughs> tell that bo- that Body Snatchers is like yeah, a four-hire thing. Is still, it, it's got the Ferrera DNA all over it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's what's so interesting about this is that you know, it so clearly came from a very specific time and place, and, and but he watches it now, and he's kind of like, yeah, you know, anyone can put, you know, pretty lights and get a dolly and, you know, dolly across the pretty lights, you know? Like, what are you fucking <laughs> yeah. saying? Like, that's the way that he talks about it now. <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, but I do find that interesting because, you know, I think that part of the film is about this idea of, you know, walk-in kind of living in these kind of like surface lights and there is an artificial quality to it. I think that it's even highlighted in the scene that we were talking about where like literally the same way that he shoots, you know, sort of like the, the, the street grime and the, you know, sort of the, the degradation of, you know, the city that he once loved. It, it's shot in the same way that like the artificial play is shot. So mm-hmm. there's something very interesting, I think, in the fact that, you know, Walken is, you know, kind of, he, he's living this very uh, surface hollow lifestyle and trying to bend the system to fix things. But the things that he's fixing are, you know, or trying to fix are, you know, problems that are created because of, you know, the actual lavishness. So it's one of those things that like, you know, it's it's a contradiction. And this film is, if nothing else, it's nothing but contradictions. It's this idea of, you know, how can, you know, you do righteousness in a system that is, you know, disgusting on every level. Um, You know, how can you use violent force and do things like massacre someone in that payphone? And how can you say, well, that's a good thing, you know? Um, And that's sort of a thing that Christopher Watkins character has to live with through the whole film. And the answer that Freire kind of gives you is that, I mean, there, there is no reconciling those things, but also, you know, this is the way things are now. Um, So I also love the, (laughs) go ahead. Oh, I know. I was just going to tie it to, we'll get, we'll get it to it later, but I was going to tie it to the funeral. And one of my uh, favorite walk-in lines that he gets in the funeral is that thing where he's just like, uh, he's talking about, you know, uh, you know, everyone says you're going to go to hell for this and go to hell for that. And, you know, just fucking get used to it or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> you you might, you might just, you, you, I'm, I'm probably going to rot in hell for doing this, but whatever. I don't yeah. care <laughs> anymore. That That's how you, that's how you live through it. <laughs> Something that I really appreciate about 
just his the, the complications of his character is like uh, well one is motivations like he you have that scene where he goes throughout the city and he sees the homelessness and and the violence and whatever um, and he wants to make changes but it's you know the irony is that he ends up hiring the the um, the, the the poorer class to work for him and it inevitably or gets black, them killed black t- black people too that's it, right a particular yes, more specifically thing right. you ha- yeah yeah absolutely um, and. So yeah, he's a, he's know, a cool gangster. He's a cool boss because he listens to hip hop is the idea. Yeah. Like I'll put you on the payroll and, and so that will help you even though I'm putting you into more violent situations. That's probably, you know, maybe if you do make some money over the years, you're probably going to end up dead anyway. So there, there is a lot of complication to his character and, and his motivations. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's a lot of like, you know, he's seeing how, you know, sort of, you know, this sort of uh, business running a city like a business is like ruining the city. And he's seeing that. And his idea is to be just like a better businessman than those right, guys right. and be more powerful than them and give jobs to the people who are, you know, Horror, but obviously he's a job you know, creator. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I love that scene. For example, on the um, on the subway, when yeah, he's yeah where back. he's molesting one of his girlfriends in public. <laughs> awesome. Yes, he's well, and, and I love to, I love too that there is the this idea too that he he only takes the subway everywhere because you know he's he's one with the you know the working the class exactly so he's he's his idea of like a romantic moment is obviously not going to the lavish dinner with the people in nice clothes it's taking his girlfriend onto the dirty subway and, and uh, ripping her shirt off or something you <laughs> that's know? right baby. like that's that's his idea of the romantic night out and then obviously you know these these guys come up to him and they're you know they're they're holding knives behind them i love the slow way that he kind of shoots the reveal of them just slowly walking and then cut to the reverse side where you can see them holding the knives and they're gonna mug him and one of the greatest shots i think in the film is uh the close-up where walk-in reveals that he's got a gun in his pants and it's this close-up of the gun and you're you're so familiar with this kind of scene because you've seen it in so many films where you're like oh shit these guys are gonna back off but in the same shot where he shows the close up of the gun, you know, tucked into his belt, you then see him pull out a wad of like ten thousand dollars or something. A perfect visual and representation of his character. Like perfect. It's, yes. it's probably not ten thousand. It's probably but it's a couple thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm re- I've, I've never uh, carried money around yeah. like a gangster. I, don't so know I, don't, I, I have no way of judging how much money that like is. Me and Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, we're going around the subway. We're hiring people. I don't have a wallet. <laughs> Creating jobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and he just throws this wad of cash at them and says, "I'm staying at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, I got work for you." Yeah, and they're so, guys are so fucking confused. <laughs> yeah. They're just backing you know up, like, "What the fuck did just happen?" It's it's great. You, you know, you know what's great about that is like those guys are just they're, they're not like professional gangsters like they're just trying to rob some corny white guy they see on the on the subway feeling up some girl on the subway yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> they see an easy mark and they're like we'll we'll just we have our little knife and we'll try to rob them they're not like doing high stakes like drug runs and he like totally recruits them he's like i see something in you guys <laughs> yeah. like, come yeah. work for me i'll groom you i'll take you to the top <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. 
yeah, so I, I just love the way that, you know, Ferreira and St. John in those scenes, they, they kind of flip, you know, sort of traditional moments that you would see in a movie like this. And I think that that ends up, you know, kind of really working for the film because apparently they spent a long time on the screenplay for this. And Ferreira didn't, doesn't credit himself, but he mentions that, you know, despite the fact for some reason he doesn't feel this is as as personal a film as some of his other ones. I think mm-hmm. it's more just the way that he shot it. It's the aesthetic of it. He yeah. it's, it's not where he eventually wanted to go. But like he and St. John apparently worked on this together for like five years and originally started off on like kind of like more of like a like a, a Jesse James story, but about like a New York detective. Okay, mm. and then event, and then eventually they were more interested in the actual gangster characters as they would be, and I get and the way that yeah, you uh, know for, what's, what's funny. Have you listened to Tarantino talking about this on Rewatchables? No, he makes a comparison about this uh, this this movie to The Wire in the sense that okay. uh, like The Wire as it begins, like you're, you're around all the cops. And like those right. are the people you hang out with, and as the show progresses, uh, you start to hang around more like the the gangsters and the criminals, and you find that they're so much more interesting uh, than the cops. And he, and he made that comparison to this movie, and he said like that that's kind of what this is. It's like the 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 criminal underworld is so much more interesting than like the police force. Those characters mm-hmm. are so much more interesting and compelling. And the cops. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're definitely dealing with, um, you know, like they they have, you know, I, what's so interesting is that I guess even he even gives like the the cops in this a kind of like you know like a working class or a blue collar detail yeah. to them. Um, no, they're just with, Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're also Irish. But but it, it, it's interesting because like they have that scene in the bar where they're complaining obviously about. Uh, the fact that, you know, Walken gets paid to kill people and they don't get to kill people and they get paid shit, which is not like a really, you know, compelling moral argument because basically they're just saying they're really upset that they can't just execute people in the streets. Yeah, is basically people. what they're what David Caruso is actually he arguing. Is, he is one of the top five most detestable cops in film history. He is so awful. Yeah, he's so good at playing an unlikable person <laughs> he really it's, is it's, well, it's the red hair yeah yeah, yeah. it's too red <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no D- david crusoe and even wesley snipes too as as his partner who uh gets kind of like a small arc as kind of like uh you know larry fish has a has a one-on-one with him where he kind of considers him an assimilationist because they're th- those are the two versions of how a black man gets out of yeah. you know the, the New York City gutter is one you work for someone like Christopher Walken or two you work with someone like David Caruso <laughs> who basically doesn't even s- treat him very well or see him as a person until he dies which is like a really you know uh, brutal moment and we'll we'll get to that kind of later but yeah there, there's something very interesting that this is you know originally conceived as like a cop movie and then it was a cops versus gangsters movie and then it was kind of just more of like a like a gangster movie because i think Ferrer mentioned in the interview that him and saint john when they were living in new york like they said that this was around the time where you could literally just like you could go to a dinner and you could see john Gotti just hanging out like there he was like uh he the way that he described it was like these guys existed they lived You, (laughs) you, you you saw them creating mayhem 
<laughs> and and that you know so he wanted to contrast that with also that this was like you know a very wealthy period of of New York a very yeah, as he described it kind of like a, a decadent period where on the one side you had people living you know uh, you know going to these nice plays and going to these nice dinners and talking about how they were going to build hospitals and then you had the reality of what you know addiction and the war on drugs and things were doing to people you know like actually you know on the street and I think he described it as a, a, a brief look at the prosperity that wasn't ever really ours is um, mm. what he said. And so that's ultimately what I think the Christopher Walken character experiences is that he's, you know, kind of you, you presume because of the way that Victor Argo looks him up, he finds out that, you know, Christopher Walken has been in like juvenile detention centers. He's likely been a criminal since he was kind of like a child. So the way that he looked at it was kind of like the poor people trying to, you know, rise up and become rich people using the same methods that the rich people did. Of course. And how those methods are just absolutely so poisonous that they basically take everyone down with them and that there's such like this unnatural thing. I think at one point too, I was, uh, I, I read Ferreira talking about how he just loved, there were so many shots included of walking in the limousine because he just said a limousine is just like an unnatural thing when you think about it. Right. Yeah. I think that's what he said. He was like, it's just, a, it's just the, this, like it makes no sense practically. It's literally just a show of wealth and of yeah. pointlessness. And, <laughs> it, 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 and it's very ridiculous. <laughs> But yeah, and I, I I think that the way that he gets at that through this very sort of like uh, you know this this doomed gangster version of a Robin Hood story, and also the gangster movie almost too as like a lonely kind of like vampire story too, which brings us back to oh, our discussion of Nosferatu. last week of the addiction. Yeah, he obviously watches they watch Nosferatu at one point in the film, but it was also you know something that he explored a couple times in his career, like with the addiction, where he talked about vampirism not just as a drug addiction, but as a means um, in which, you know, you serve your own desires or impulses at the destruction of other people. Like Christopher Walken appears in the addiction as like the older vampire. Have you seen that one, Rob? Of course. And he steals the show. He's in it for five minutes. It's the best five minutes in the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's so... He's so good, and he basically just talks about impulse control. You he's know just nothing. Like, yeah. I'll show you nothing. what you are. <laughs> I defecate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, 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 I love that he's so proud that he's uh, he's practically human because he he hasn't drank blood in you know forty years and, and well, things yeah, like that. So uh, I, uh, he's the uh, the self indulgent uh, recovered addict. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I, I think that there is like that kind of um, existential impulse quality to this a little bit where you get, you know, Christopher Walken again, you know, being this very calculated kind of character when he wants to be. And the moments where Christopher Walken goes from being this very, you know, this this very charming guy in like a party scenario. Like mm -hmm. I, I think about um, that opening hotel bit where he meets mm -hmm. with Lawrence Fishburne because after Lawrence Fishburne does the scene the great scene uh, one of my favorite Lawrence Fishburne scenes which by the way apparently uh, that's the that outfit that he's got in that scene was the the outfit that got him the role because oh, this really? was originally supposed to be played by like a white guy I think and then what? the guy and then the guy dropped out and Lawrence Fishburne said 
you know, he was already auditioning for, I think, another character. But he said, dude, this character jumps out at me. I really want to play this character. And so they mm-hmm. let him audition. And they basically gave him the role without having to audition because he showed up in his own costume, which is the <laughs> wow. costume he used in that scene. And it's so and he's just like, he's like, you got a, you got a root beer, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, he's so so fucking good in that scene. And so what, what's that line that what's the line that he, he gets to? Because he's talking about I want I want an aspirin. I hurt my, wait, my wait. leg playing ball. You play ball, man. <laughs> he has so many. He has so many good lines. My one one of my favorite lines is when uh, when he first sees uh, walking and walking goes, hey, "Hey, Jimmy, why didn't you why didn't you come visit me?" He goes, "Who'd want to see you in a cage, man?" Like, yeah, such a great so line. Good. Yeah, I love, I love, um, you know, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, like, I think in that scene, it's just like a low angle shot of like Steve Buscemi just like testing the coke out. He's like the coke nerd. Yeah. yeah. And Lawrence yeah, Fishburne's yeah. like, dude, test who fucking you. cares, you know, what the percent is? He just like snorts it. He's like, it's yeah, good. That's how you <laughs> test it. That is how you test it. That's the bomb. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they end up uh, just stealing the drugs because they their briefcase full of money is actually filled with tampons, and the guy's like, "What the fuck is this?" And he's for like, the "They're for the holes, bullet holes." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then and and the the slow mo blood spraying on the walls and the squibs and everything. It's so it almost it almost reminded me of Sam Peckinpah. We were just recently talking about "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia." And like oh, yeah. all of the gunfights in this, they're not staged to be like particularly, uh, <sighs> you know, like sort of like set pieces. They're it's literally chaos. just like massacres. Yeah, like the guys like <laughs> room service motherfuckers and then just bust in the door and start spraying like crazy. Like there's it's just pure chaos to the violence in this movie. I will say uh, and maybe maybe this is just me. Does anyone else? And I don't mean this as a slight, but does anyone else find the the Chinatown shootout to be kind of hilarious? <laughs> like almost like a parody. I mean, it, it's definitely uh, chaotic. Yeah, it's, well, it's sure. just like it, it reminds me of a scene from some comedy movie that I'm having trouble piecing together what it is, but like an Austin Powers type of thing because it's like they're like just across the street from each other and they're all just shooting and it's just like they're so close, you know. <laughs> There's something uh, about the way that's choreographed that I I, I think I, I've seen done in some movie where it's like a goof, and I yeah. I just find that scene very funny. Is that the one where they start yeah no I mean it, it's definitely them all over with the SUV. You, well, you, they don't run anyone over, but they they I think they get them out of the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh right, they jump yeah they out of they the way, they pull up in the car, and there's like moments where um. The I, the one thing that I find very funny about that scene is when you have all the guys shooting at each other. They all jump out of the cars, firing pistols and shotguns and everything at each other. But um, the th- there's a part where like one of like the the girls who was hanging out with them like in the drug the Larry den, Wong. She she's <laughs> she's in like a super tight tiny dress. And she just like rolls out of the car with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, there and yeah, and well, that's what's kind of interesting is that I I do find the violence in this like very sudden, very chaotic, and um, definitely very uh, 
filthy and how it relates to then like the somber mood. Cause I think about too, like in that, that room service motherfuckers bit where he just starts shooting everyone. Um, there's it, it, it that's where it cuts to walk in in the plaza hotel like smiling and showering clean like all of this killing is being done for him in a montage of him coming home like he's right. getting back into command back into the rhythm of just like massacring and it's his kind of it's his him. it's his version of the reynolds woodcock beauty routine yes yeah <laughs> um yeah, that that bombed. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> wait. Uh, and then for the the Chinatown shootout, um, uh, uh, a nice touch is that they they feel the need once they kill Larry Wong, they feel the need to send him off with a Nosferatu esque death by hanging him upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn. That's pre- that's a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty wild yeah he's definitely trying to send a statement as he's taking over because he, he takes over chinatown he also takes over and he he kills the colombians <laughs> and then he kills he takes over the italians as well right he's taking mm-hmm. over like all the various different um you know sort of uh, ethnic crime syndicates that are in new york and he's just each one he's going uh he gets that great line uh what does he get uh uh, you guys all got fat while everyone starved on the streets or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it starved. 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 Very specifically. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Also love like the way when he goes into the, uh, that, that poker room when he kills the Italian crew, um, or at least mm-hmm. the leader, the way that he Arty. shoots the gun, just his physical performance of it is just oh, so he like, best, he like punches dude. with yeah, it. Exactly. It he's kind of like best. punching the gun with it and there's no real aiming. It's not like he's pres- like trying to be precise about it. It's just this, it's pure anger and rage at the guy. And I, I found that uh, physical performance really cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I, he, I, he uses, he uses the gunshots as like a punctuation, right? He's, yes. And he's still he, talking to him. To like what he's he saying. You're welcome. Guy. You're all welcome. Yeah. Yeah. George. He's yeah. killed the guy. He's just laying there and he even returns after he like, he, he, he walks back and then walks back to the body and starts shooting again. He gives so. him one more shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. I love that scene. Well, yeah, and I, and I love too that 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 scene follows up like him at the dinner party meeting back up with like the uh, you know with the with, with the lawyers and the politicians and talking mm-hmm. about how he's been uh, he's been reformed. He actually <laughs> wants to be mayor, yeah, um, because uh, because uh, people like him are the legal process, and I, I just love like the. You know, he, he's at like this, it's like this pristine gothic architecture to, you know, like the dinner parties that he goes to. And then he goes and he meets with, you know, uh, these these Italian yeah. gangsters playing poker in this like run down bar with like chipped walls and they're playing yeah. the card game. And he sends a guy like, to go talk to like him first. An hour later, we or hour before, we literally just saw Artie Clay piss in the room. Yeah, yeah that's so <laughs> right good. I was, that's what I was just going to say. He literally <laughs> just pisses all over the do- the dude's shoes. It's so filthy. Oh, yeah. It's and so, uh, the shot too, like the shot is him reaching into his pants to grab his dick and everything too it's so uh it's dirty <laughs> yeah yeah but then yeah then he goes in there and he just guns Artie down screaming at him and he's like if any of you are tired of getting ripped off by guys like that 
then two exclamation points, which are the fucking gunshots. Gun, gun gun him, him shooting him while he's already dead on the ground. And then he says, come to the Plaza Hotel. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> to join. Yeah. Love that. Unreal. So good. Goddamn. Yeah. So then it, it, it's so funny because like, you know, he, he goes psycho mode like a couple of times like that. And then the other times it's more of him like, you know, brooding and looking out into like the New York night sky. That's all like lit up. Like I think about obviously that fantastic image that became the poster, which is half yeah. his face covered in the fluorescent like lights of the skyscrapers that are reflecting on the Plaza, Plaza hotel yeah. um, window and everything like that. He's on his Batman shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this, this is his city. He's going to take yeah, exactly. control. They're exactly. ruining his city. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Do you guys have a fa- uh, favorite moment of the, of this movie? Um, I don't know if it's my favorite yet, but I will say one of my favorites is the uh, the restaurant, the fast food restaurant scene with Fishburne. Oh, that's a great scene. Love that. It's scene. great. Yeah. Um, just just like it's so uh, it takes its time, which I really appreciate. I wasn't really sure what the scene was supposed to be at first. Really, he's just kind of walking in. He's he's ordering his food. He's giving the cashier quite a a hard time because he's yelling at the kids. Pieces of chicken, some spare <laughs> yeah. ribs, shrimp, yeah, onion yeah. rings, and tartar I, sauce. That scene makes <laughs> me hungry too. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah. I also love I also love when when the guy asks. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, or as my dad once called him, Leon Fishbone. Um, <laughs> he, he goes, "What? Like, what do you want to drink?" And uh, and Larry goes, uh, "He says you got any birch beer?" And it's like, man, this guy's like a root beer aficionado. Like he, <laughs> he knows all like, the names. Like, like if, like if he would have said sarsaparilla, that would have been really good. If like <laughs> just all the different kinds of root beers. <laughs> But yeah, that's yeah, a great I, lo- I love that the guy's like, dude, no, we we have like diet coke. Yeah. <laughs> And, the, and well, and I, I I love too the detail in that scene too, where the the employee is obviously like yelling at the young kids who are yeah. trying to play at the arcade, but they have no money. And you know Lawrence is really you know upset that they they did that, and he goes over and he gives them money to play, and he he gives money to the grandma who's clearly taking the kids out and everything like that. And once again, it's it's sort of a microcosm of what Christopher Walken is trying to do, which yes. is redistributing yeah. this money to help his community. Right. Um, but then and, the moment after, you know, he gets arrested by the cops. Well, yeah, that's just it, and that, that's great. what's so funny is like no one else would think to write or shoot that scene this way. Yeah. Where it's yeah. filled with so much character personality and filled with so much like clearly Lawrence Fishburne, you know, like cares about the locals and he wants to help, and then, you know, and then all. of all of a sudden you can see ahead of time that the cops are arresting his buddy his outside. Right, right. Yeah. And, and the, just, just the, the silent of him, like not realizing that they're coming, looking <laughs> up at the menu and them just like fucking people up outside before barging their way in and like, you know, being really rough with him and everything like that too. And I also like know, the fact uh, that he, he's carrying the food when he turns around. And I thought when he, he tosses the food full speed at Caruso and I thought it was going to yeah. be like a distraction <laughs> thing where it's like toss the food and run. But instead he just, tosses it at him to insult the guy and I just really appreciated yeah. <laughs> that because right away he turns around and just accepts his arrest and I thought that was so badass <laughs> 
It's a great little <laughs> yeah, a, That is such a good catch. He yeah. really just wanted to throw the food out of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't even pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, fuck you. Here's burgers, bitch. Uh, and uh, I, I love... I love too. He gets that that great line to Wesley Snipes, where he's like, "Touch me again, and I'm gonna slap the black off of you." Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> one of the, one of my favorite parts is when him and him and Wesley uh, Wesley Snipes are doing like the shootout, and he's and Wesley is looking for for uh, Larry, and he's like, he's like, "I got some chicken for you." Just like, <laughs> yeah, doing, like oh, the right. most racist shit. Yeah, and then and then Larry Fishburne pops out of nowhere and shoots him. And he goes, "Where's the chicken at?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's fucking line. Fishburne it's so is good. so good in this. He's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say. Speaking of which, actually, that is um, that. It's funny. My favorite scene is also a Larry Fishburne um, scene, which which is nice. the uh, the the sort of climax to the big. Uh, car chase oh, sequence under the that homeless takes. bridge. Oh, when he's when he's laughing like a nut. Yeah, when he's maniacally laughing and screaming and dying like yeah. all at the same time. Yeah, like crazy. that's such a just a crazy um, moment to include because again, like it, it, there's no there's no like simple and then he's just dead. It's like he's screaming and laughing on the ground for like two minutes before he dies. Yeah, in that scene, and that's also where you and see it's like, such a the brutal cops detail. Basically, just doing like similar gang killings. Essentially, like Caruso just goes up to him after he realizes Snipes is dead and just pops him right in the head. So there's no like you know no justice so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's the turn that this uh, you know this film eventually takes because right, a lot of the right. film obviously is you know walking getting um, you know he's he's taking over a lot of the crime syndicate and his plan with is that you know he's taking over the money that they're making selling drugs to people um, and you know various other you know sort of underworld activities and then he's using that money for things you know presumably to help the city like he gets a hospital funded because they they tell him that you know there there was no room in the budget for you know one of the poor communities to you know keep this hospital open and so he uses all of the drug money in a kind of twist of irony to, you know, uh, get, get that built for them. And you have like Freddie Jackson singing about singing this great song about, uh, praying for liberation and, and for dignity and the heartbeat of the city and dreaming for a better day. And, you know, every, everyone is, uh, you know, you know, obviously not, uh, you know, aware of, you know, the methods in which this hospital is actually being paid for. And that ends up, turning into why the cops get like super angry about it is because no one's touching him. None of the politicians or lawyers or anyone want to touch him because he's a wealthy person. He's he, he maybe not uh, the most, uh, you know, everyone knows who he is. Everyone's aware and kind of scared of him, but like, you know, he's respected enough that he keeps getting invited to these dinners and these plays and, you know, so, yeah. you know, they, they, they can't really touch him despite the fact that they know that he's behind so much of the killing that's taking place, like on the streets that they're seeing. One of mm-hmm. my favorite images, just speaking on the, the the hospital, is when he's doing the deal with the uh, the Chinese leader, and he's doing that deal right in the inside the hospital, and he's in front of a child. Yes, that's that's oh, just yes. playing. He, he's holding he's holding a, a stuffed animal, and he like gives the girl it. Yeah, as he's yeah. talking to Larry Wong about yeah about this like uh, th- this these gang dealings that they're gonna do to bring apart. Well, yeah, he, he's, he's talking about profit sharing to fund. Uh, public medic, like you know, medicine essentially. Right. And, then, and then Larry Larry Wong says something about how like 
if I cared about socialized medicine, I would have stayed. Uh, I forget where he said he was from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's definitely a great moment. And and once again, you know, part of the contradiction that he's getting at is that, you know, again, he's having a, a scene that you would see in the Godfather where two guys sit down and uh, <laughs> smoke cigars behind a table and they talk about, you know, the, the way that the profits are going to get moved around and he's doing it in front of like this small sick child, like a make a wish program, but you <laughs> right. get to hang out with Christopher Walken making gangster deals. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty sweet. Which, yeah. Listen, he did nothing wrong in my opinion. In this. He's just trying to help. He's trying to help I, his community. Listen, that scene where he goes to Victor Argo's apartment and he just yeah, he, tell, right, he right. tells him what what's what. I'm like, yup, you're the man. Like you did nothing wrong. I'm I'm with you. <laughs> that is one of the greatest scenes of all time, and his his performance. Oh God! It just who who made you judge and jury? Well, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Like this is just <laughs> the fucking best. That's the fucking best. That's the same scene where he, after he turns around, he just goes bang bang, <laughs> like to the what? To yeah, the cop. It, it, yeah, it's, it's it's the one where he's pointing the gun at him because he's asking Victor Argo to like you know point the gun at him so he can shoot him, but Victor Argo never does. No, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, no, no, he says, he said, take out your piece, slow. Yeah. Uh, but that that's a different scene where he tells him to shoot him. That's on the subway. Right, oh, yeah. Right. So that one, that, that one, that one just follows that because that's, that's yeah, yeah. like what, I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm just the, talking that, about how he leaves his apartment. That's what I was saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I just thought that was so badass. So he points the gun and he says the words bang, bang to him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I really, you know, like, again, like the, this all is, you know, going to go downhill at some point. And it does when the cops, you know, get very upset that Frank is considered like a movie star, that he's, yeah. you know, he's, the, he's the one funding the hospital and he's on TV and everyone loves him and uh, no one appreciates us. So we're going to go put some masks on and just go murder a bunch of people, <laughs> which is like, Wait, such a, well, obviously uh, David Caruso says some line where he says like, you are making it hard for me to do my job. It's like, yeah. that is not your fucking job. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> so it is so, Oh, he's such a piece of shit. He's just the worst. Yeah, but this this leads to them uh, going into like his sort of like a uh, very sort of like moody, operatically lit like drug den where they're all dancing around to Schoolie D's uh, "Am I Black Enough for You?" and Walken is dancing with with every everyone. <laughs> Everyone's having a good time. They're all coked walk out. In, they're all fucked up. It's nice. Walk, walk in is going uh, heat mode and talking about how he's uh, I've lost time and I can't waste anymore. And, uh, but, but this, this leads to like a really fucking crazy shootout where, you know, like they break in and there's so many like really just really gross moments. Like walking is walking along with a girl <laughs> and the girl just takes the full blunt of the shotgun shot that was meant for him. Yeah. <laughs> she does. And she does it out of like, loyalty too. Like, she goes <laughs> yeah. in front voluntarily, which is something else. Yeah, well, and and all of the again, it, it, it's it's like this very you know for Ferreira, he's never really done um, stuff like this. Like these, the, I understand 
kind of what he means aesthetically. Like these, these are like, they have the, the Ferreira, like kind of like drug den grime to them. But again, these shootouts reminded me more of like a, like a sudden peck and paw kind of moment, like a, like a wild bunch style, slow-mo firing at each other, just the pure chaos and destruction and people's bodies being shredded. And they also (laughs) always have like assault rifles instead of handguns a lot of the time. So there's just, there's a ton of just uh, like there, there's a lot of the orange flares interrupting like the blue yeah. uh, like neon lighting of the room and stuff like that too. And it's yeah. so loud and fast paced because of the guns that they're using. And I don't know, just normally I guess with like gangster films, I'm I'm used to them using a like a handgun or something like that. Uh, so for them to have just full on assault rifles at times is, is quite an image. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different kinds of 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 guns being used in in the set pieces, and and I mean Larry Fish like shooting at all the dudes and like yelling while like dual wielding on the other side of the bar and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. like he's going John Woo mode a little bit. <laughs> uh, and he, I forgot, I forgot about this line too. But the, uh, there's the part where they, because that shootout eventually turns into a car chase, which has to be like the only. Again, Freira shoots it differently than someone else would, but has to be like the only like traditional kind of like action set piece that's ever taken place in like one of his movies, yeah, which is definitely. like a, a, a shootout at a drug den that's super filthy, followed by them get, all getting into cars and it turning into a car chase um, that's filmed almost more like Larry Cohen style. Like it feels like it's filmed very gorilla style alongside the cars and you get the one dude holding on to the open door and Larry Fish trying to like kick him out of the car until the dude's head smashes square into the fire hydrant and just (laughs) breaks on the fire hydrant and Larry Fish just screams nobody rides for free motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) amazing which is true. Which is true. And then if, just the uh, if, nobody rides for free. It's the, it, it, honestly, the thesis of the movie, <laughs> nobody rides for free. I also love the energy of uh, Fishburne being, going through the sunroof, double wielding pistols while, uh, yes. while Snipes is out of the window and he's he's doing like a single pistol. It's just... Yeah, the, the camera's the like way, swerving the way with the he cars. holds the two pistols too. It's so yeah. good. Like he really is gracefully... Shooting those motherfuckers. Yeah, it's great. The coolest dude. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I love the use of like water, the rain and the shadow and the lighting as they're going yeah. over like the Queensboro Bridge and stuff. It's it's so beautiful and kind of like filled with doom and, and it's unique because the camera work is like very almost calm. But like what the actual chase is like fucking crazy. Like the cars are like fucking just barely missing each other as they're swerving while everyone is hanging out of them, shooting two guns at each other and slamming and screeching and like barely staying on like the slick wet streets and everything. Eventually they crash and flip and you know, there's nothing but like rain and the cement and like some fire and yeah, it's just, you know, really beautiful set piece actually. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah, uh, and and again, is, too, this is also two sides of, you know, uh, you know, it's supposed to be the good guys versus the bad guys, but the bad guys are trying to do good things and the supposed good guys are clearly doing evil things. Yeah. So it's not a redeemable <laughs> moment for, for, for the good guys, even at their buddy's wedding, they're all fucking around with his wife. Like they're just, <laughs> yeah. they're just detestable people. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so, so and it's very interesting how that all just comes to a head because, you know, again, it, it ends up being in kind of like a, a, a versus scenario where Lawrence Fishburne takes on Wesley Snipes and David Caruso because they're meant to be kind of like the people who came from the poorer backgrounds who are, you know, rising up. And then there's there's Walken versus Victor Argo, which is more of sort of like a, a moral or a philosophical difference, which is that Victor Argo is supposed to be, you know, the more principled character, the character who doesn't believe in the use of violence or, or force to get, you know, to do good things. Um, and so, like, those two end up kind of battling it out. And I do like that, you know, the Victor Argo versus Walken is not an action scene. It's more of, like, this um, sort of, like, philosophical sequence yeah. uh, that takes place kind of, like, uh, between the two of them on the subway. And they do end, you know, they end up shooting each other. So, you know, there is that, some action to it. But, it. but it's not the same as Lawrence Fishburne versus Wesley no. Snipes, uh, especially when he just unloads his fucking gun into one into Wesley Snipes and then David Caruso unloads it into Lawrence Fishburne and it's just all of the the, the bullets coming out of his back and oh my god yeah. it's so brutal it's and again him wild. just like screaming on the ground in the rain and he's like kill me motherfucker yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is what also it's, it's such to. a weird painful gross way of like filming that particular sequence that just sits in all of the death and the filth and the emptiness of it and it's like and I think like the next three sequences are essentially just death ridden because you have that you know you have the under the bridge scene and then I think that immediately goes to the uh, the funeral the scene funeral. where we have Caruso yeah. just get blasted away by Walken uh, and yeah, then speaking of a hard, hard target that, I was like that reminds me of hard target when the oh, guy yeah. just point blank shotguns the dude in the head in his car yeah <laughs> Walken Classic. does the same thing that shot of Walken uh, closing the window though with those cold dead eyes after he blasts him away is is an unbelievable yeah. touch just really good yeah and the blood hitting the window and the rack focus to it and everything and how sudden it yeah. is because he just opens the window just goes hey you shotgun done like there's no time to really even take it in it's uh it's awesome. It's it's crazy. It's fun. And David Caruso is such an idiot. He he doesn't realize like immediately. I'm about to get whacked. <laughs> like, he, he's like, who's in there? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and and think about that. That that's a cut from like the one like kind of intimate moment that the Caruso character gets holding Wesley Snipes' body in the in the rain and being like you know genuinely genuinely upset. And he's um, grieving in the car is- too before he sh- gets he gets shot. Like he's kind of. Whatever, it's his fucking fault. It's his fucking fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny that he gets one emotional uh, scene and then instantly gets his head shot off. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that that's like so, you know, sort of stylistically key to, you know, kind of what it's doing that this this, you know, this is sort of these people kind of raging against this inevitable thing that was going to happen due to the actions that they were taking. Right. And then um, the, and then the thing is, like the next scene is when he kills the uh, that messenger that worked for him. So it's just this like it's three consecutive scenes of just violence and death and anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's great. It's wonderful. It's good vibes. Yeah, good vibes all around. Love it. The, 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 the ending on the subway, that is like, it's, it's one of the most raw, hardcore things anyone has ever said when he takes a hostage. Particularly, it's no coincidence it's a black woman. Uh, and he, he goes, he goes, I'm not going to hurt you, but, but don't move. And he goes, look at this, this is a nice woman. You probably have a family. They love you. 
I don't want to, but I will blow your fucking head off. <laughs> and he looks at Victor Argo. He's like, could you do that? And it's like, he means it. Like, he, yeah. he'll do it. He, he doesn't give a shit. It's also a complete contradiction to everything he said prior, which exactly. I really love Exactly. <laughs> he goes, I, I've done things you wouldn't even think about. Yeah. Come on, Frank, you can't run forever. I don't need forever. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the, the shot of after he shoots that, the cop, they, they, he just lingers on that shot of him trying to get up again. And it, there's so much struggle that the cop's going through. And, and it's just, it's, it's like pathetic and sad. And then, you know, walk and walks out. But just that lingering shot of the cop struggling before he dies is, is something else. There's a, I don't know, there's, there's, uh, there is like a sadness to it because you're just watching somebody slowly go away and, and once again he just lingers on it I found that shot to be pretty powerful yeah definitely mm-hmm. well yeah and, and, and again the, the whole the difference you know like uh, like the difference between him and Victor Argo is just that you know like you know Victor Argo is not willing to use force and Walken is willing to use right. force is meant to be sort of like, you know, the, the kind of the, the thing that they are battling um, between. And he goes, you know, you, you, I think in the, in the big conversation that they have, you know, he's, he's upset that he's killing all of his, you know, sort of like lowly uh, poor and black employees that they are all just getting murdered by cops over the deaths of like these dudes who were like abusing refugees and running child prostitution rings and things like that. He's just like, why? Like I, I took the guys who were running child prostitutes and used their money to build a hospital. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I love that line where he goes, those guys are dead because I don't want to make money that way. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, and, and what's so interesting is that, that that's just it. Is that like the walk-in character? You know, part of it is you know he's making a point. Part of it is that it's rationalization for the things that he does. And then the other part of it is though is that you know again still the methods are still poisonous regardless, and that this was all inevitable. He was going to well, kill. Well, he, he says he said he, he says uh, he says to Victor Argo, he goes, "You think ambushing me in some nightclub is going to stop what makes people take drugs?" This country spends a hundred billion dollars a year on getting high. And it's not because of me. Even while I was in jail, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or those years I was wasting in jail. No, it just got worse. I'm not your problem. I'm just a businessman. Boom. Mic drop. Thesis. Fucking thesis, (laughs) baby. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but what what yeah so I, I that that's what I find so interesting is that you know Walken is obviously making points but at the same time he's wrestling with unfortunately <laughs> the way that the system works is that it doesn't it doesn't you know benefit that happening like again no, he's just sure, continuing right. part of the violent he's cycle trapped. so yeah that's just it he, you know the, his he has more vision than the other criminals do but at, at a certain point you know you're not going to escape the way that the entire thing was built since the beginning um, and so watching him try to escape that in these sort of like matter of fact sort of like tracking POV shots and you know obviously he gets into the big subway car shootout which definitely had to have inspired the uh, the collateral finale, oh, yeah. I've always assumed so oh yeah um, and uh yeah, and he, he gets in the gunfight with Victor Victor Argo, and he just guns this dude down. And you don't feel anything good about it, and then he just slowly, um, 
you know, all the sound slowly starts to disappear as his life fades. And then it moves over to this giant close up of a neon enjoy Coca-Cola sign to the police <laughs> sirens yeah. while, um, uh, walk in just walks around the city that, you know, used to be his and that he was trying to save. And he just slowly bleeds out. He's literally, he, it, it's not revealed until the car, but he's literally holding his gut. He's got a bullet wound and yeah, he, you know, it's the first time you realize that that he shot once he gets into the back seat of the taxi, and it's just such an undignified, uh, yet so New York way to die at the same time. Only in New <laughs> York, <laughs> baby. <laughs> well, because he gets into the taxi and tells him to just drive, but then he's stuck in a traffic jam, and all the cops are coming up to him stuck in the traffic jam as he goes limp and dies. And the thing I love so much about this ending is that how how long it is how drawn out it is yeah like you spend there's so many you know shots of christopher walken in the car and then looking back at all the people recognizing that you know he's the one that they're looking for and all the cops r- walking up to the car and everything it probably cuts mm-hmm. back and forth between all the cops surrounding him you know like six or seven times and you're just sitting there watching him bleed out, watching this, you know, his his vision not come to fruition. And instead, all of the people that he was trying to uh, raise out of their conditions, uh, just dead and himself dead. And, yep. you know, not really much reason for any of it. Nope. Is there ever? Yeah, it's a very nope. sad ending. As is tradition yeah. with Abel Ferreira. So. Yeah, he definitely. I you don't feel good at the end of Bad Lieutenant. Um, <laughs> no, or this, or, or uh, Miss Forty Five. Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah, no, very, very. I mean, and it, it's interesting because I know that they originally conceived it the entire time is that this was a very, you know, this was a movie about a doomed character. They, yeah. Again, they oh, wanted yeah. a gangster Robin Hood, uh, but they they also wanted a gangster Jesse James story. Right, was the idea was that you know he he robbed and he tried to do you know things with the money but you can't actually you know unfortunately you know the, the the righteous things that you wanted to do if they're still connected to the system that needs violent force then that's you know it's a contradiction again it's it's he's trying to do uh philanthropic things but still using exploitation to do it he's still a job creator for you know the poor people <laughs> right. he's redistributing uh blood money is the yes. the idea of of the movie and that central contradiction just kind of bleeds into the entire um, film in the way that, you know, it's, it's shot in again, Abel Ferreira's like very street level grime versus the very expressive operatic colors of the way that it's actually like sort of like lit and the cinematography is done. And the way that Walken moves around, like he's like this lonely expressionist vampire character, but then, you know, he'll turn on the charm of the gangster movie and start dancing and things like that. I think, um, uh, it was Philippe Furtado's review where he said the, the whole film, uh, the film should have been called City of the Living Dead because <laughs> that's ultimately what it what it what it feels like. And yeah, I think I think that he's he's right. It's a really sad movie and probably pivoting towards reductive rating round. Um, this one gets the the five for me. I don't oh, think yeah. it was a five the very first time that I watched it, but I, this is my third or fourth time that I've watched it now, and I keep going back to it. Um, so it, it, you know, I, I it definitely has uh, you know I've been really really taken um with this 
movie and I, I find obviously the walk in performance super interesting the way that he moves from being charmed to just dead eyed uh, wielding of, of, of power in the film like when he kills people and I, I like the idea of sort of like this uh, of, of him wandering this really grim cityscape trying to you know, uh, change some of the ugly realities of it, but doing it, you know, uh, with the exact same methods that created it in the first place. And I know that Ferreira, in terms of uh, some of the style, he actually says that the movie that most inspired him to make this, I don't know if you guys know this, it was The Terminator. Wow. <laughs> what? Really? Yes. That's why really? the Terminator. Yes, he said that he watched the Terminator, and he said, "This is what everybody wants." <laughs> that seems like him doing a bit. I, don't know. I watched Bambi. Like he's always talking about how Bambi was his most influential film. <laughs> well, the one difference that I will say is that the idea of doing kind of like this, um, this very sort of uh, neon uh, surface, but still like kind of like a grimy genre movie. No, it absolutely, makes sense. the style. It, no, it makes <laughs> sense. But yeah, I, I think that this is. Uh, I, I think that Abel should not be so hard on himself. I think this is a really incredible film. I'm. I'm glad that it's really um, picked up with with people. I think that in terms of the stylistic expression here, I think that you know he gets it. He turns you know what what otherwise would be you know kind of like a, you know the, turns the structure of a '30s gangster movie. I was reminded a little bit of kind of like the actual the original Howard Hawks Scarface versus like more like 80s um, crime movies mm-hmm. um, in terms of like the way that it kind of moves and has this very simple like kind of like uh, almost like a plot that you could fit into like 90 minutes clean uh, and he almost does but just done in a style that again is is so kind of like intimate and sad and and kind of ugly um, in in its own way so yeah definitely for me uh, I love the way that Frera, you know, g- gets at the feelings of it using the shadows and the colors, and you know, he he he, he turns New York the same way that 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 art piece that Walken goes to. He turns New York into like this otherworldly like art piece rendition of like gutters or like the verses again, sort of like the anonymous like hotel rooms, like uh, he would eventually do in um, New Rose Hotel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still got to see that one actually. Oh, uh, it's so good. We'll we'll do it at some point for sure. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm. And also, I forgot to mention too, another character with a fatalistic Jesus complex in an <laughs> Abel Ferreira movie. Yeah. Oh man. no way. Uh, yeah, I would also give it a five out of five. Uh, this is my second time. Uh, the first time I, I it was that four, but this this time it it really hit me. Uh, I think this is perfect. Every scene I found intriguing. It's it's uh, it flows so well. The pacing is perfect. Uh, it's a top-notch Christopher Walken performance. I mean, like you said, Josh, his his uh, his cross between cold demeanor and this like energetic, charismatic friend of everybody is is amazing. The way that he goes back and forth between that, um, and, and you know, even speaking more specifically, that one scene where he does the the famous. Uh, the 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 wind up of the hips and the thrust to greet the boys, Not which is by the way, why? Amazing! That's how I'm greeting all my boys for the rest of my life. But in that same that's, scene, that's he, me and that's me and Josh when we see each other on Warzone. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> but that in that same scene, he has this this line where he says something like, um, "It's like uh, I have no remorse." It's a terrible thing. 
but yeah. he says it with such yeah. like like he doesn't really give a flying fuck at all <laughs> and it's uh, the best it's it's fantastic and i just i love that 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 uh contrast there in that scene um and then the last thing i want to mention was just the the scene where he takes out the messenger near the end um and he just has his 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 guys do it for him and instead of showing the death what what abel does is just it tracks um a walk and going back up the stairs and looking over the city skyline and while he's looking over his city so to speak you hear the messenger screaming for his life and then just one shot and he's dead and it goes to silence um and uh it's just another you know great example of 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 his character and the juxtaposition so, between the yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, it's 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 brilliant. So five out of five. This is a masterpiece. Absolutely love it. Hell yeah. Um, I still have it at like the four and a half, but it it it'll nice. be a five one day. I <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, Christopher Walken. I'm a, I must have been gone a long time because <laughs> my feelings are dead. I uh, <laughs> yeah. most, it's a terrible so thing. It's <laughs> it's just it's the best. Uh, With and a like, smile yeah, on that, his face. That performance has meant so much to me. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. It's just one of those, like, because his his inflections are very walking, but they're different. It's just mm-hmm. it's just such a different performance, and like all all of every line that comes out of his mouth to me is like it's poetry. I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, four and a half. Love it. Um, yeah, great, great film. Great film. Definitely. Hell yeah. Well, that will wrap it up for uh, King of New York. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about the funeral. Rossellini. You want to talk? Benicio Del Toro. I had nothing to do with your brother's death. And Vincent Gallo. Blood was their bond. Killing somebody else is not going to bring him back. Remember one thing. He's not your flesh and blood. And the beginning of their end. You can't be trusted. You are not trustworthy. What would you have me do? Why? The funeral. Once you pull a trigger, there's no going back. A film by Abel Ferrara. All right, we are back, and we are talking The Funeral, the 1996 American gangster drama film directed by Abel Ferrara and starring, once again, Christopher Walken, as well as Chris Penn, Vincent Gallo, Benicio Del Toro, Isabella Rossellini, uh, Gretchen Mole in a small role. Uh, a lot of people who eventually turned up in other gangster things, including uh, a number of uh, Sopranos characters, I noticed. Yeah. I noticed uh, Artie. Artie's in here uh, <laughs> as, a, as, as a small underling to Stephen, or, uh, Christopher Watkins, Stephen Watkins' character. Um, <laughs> also, uh, but, let, let us not forget um, uh, Annabelle Yora. Yes, playing Jean. Yes, she gets yes. one of the best scenes in the film. But she's in she's in Sopranos. Is she actually? Yes, my friend. Yes. Oh, plays, maybe maybe uh, I'm not maybe I'm not pl- deep enough in. Oh well, where are you? I'm uh, in season three. Oh yeah, she she's uh, she will eventually become one of Tony's Gumars. Oh, very interesting. Okay, yeah, well, so. I will look forward to that because the only yeah. one I noticed was uh, <laughs> was the dude who runs the restaurant. Artie Buka, <laughs> the bookster. Yeah, um, yeah. No, Victor Ferreira Argo's back kinda, in this as well briefly. But between between Ferrera 
in like Scorsese and then maybe a little bit Spike Lee. Like I think every Sopranos character has been in one of those one of their movies. Ferrera casts so many Sopranos characters, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Hell anyway. yeah. Hell yeah. But yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen the funeral, because I know that this is one of the Ferreras, it's actually kind of harder to find. It really only got like a like a small DVD release, and even finding uh, you can't it even by rent it on Prime. You can't even like, no. You this is one of the films that the only way that you can watch it is either by finding one of the DVDs, which are probably out of print, or uh, finding sixty one dollars. Uh, you you can buy them for sixty one dollars. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah, or or you can go to uh, to other places and uh, you can find <laughs> the funeral. <laughs> the high seas. But yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the Ferreras that I wish was kind of talked about a little bit more because, again, um, written by Nicholas St. John, directed by Ferreira, you can tell that this was a little bit his response to making King of New York, which is why I think they kind of pair well together because it's another gangster movie with Walken. But the style is a lot more spare, a lot oh, more stripped yeah. down. It's actually, I, I, I'm watching it Rewatching it, actually, I thought more about like someone like John Cassavetes. Well, like, it, yeah, it, 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 it's done in that in that more kind of um, spacious way for actors. It feels like sure, yeah. you know he does he does some of the sort of like uh, you know it, it, it's not like a beautiful dolly shot moving across the room. It's more of like a simple handheld that tracks the actors because when you have someone as um, uh, animalistic and rage inducing as Chris Penn in your film. <laughs> um, you know, that's the kind of style I think you got to go for. And Chris Penn, man, he shouts in this movie and he oh, screams God. in this movie. Screeches. And he breaks his voice. Like he's just, he's, he's wailing. He does. He kind of does that in every movie he's in. He's always, that's just, true. He's always he just a, fired up. His character actor, in this yeah. movie, though, makes uh, makes uh, Eddie from Reservoir Dogs seem like a very well composed man. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah, well adjusted for sure. <laughs> really with it, you know. <laughs> uh, but for anyone who hasn't seen this, uh, it follows uh, three brothers who uh, are uh, all involved in the uh, the gangster scene in New York in the 1930s, one of the few Ferreira also period dramas, which is interesting. Uh, it opens with, uh, for example, Vincent Gallo watching um, The Petrified Forest from 1936 starring Humphrey Bogart, which is like a, a, a 30s like hostage stick-up like robbery movie about you know a bunch of penniless people basically living through the great depression and trying to dream of a better tomorrow as they kind of try to do in king of new york they kind of have this vision of where their life could be but you know they find out that they kind of have to do it with like you know again the they have to do it with like the robbery money and things like that it's a very interesting film for gallo to be watching because you would assume that you know it's essentially gallo watching king of new york um, and then going to his union meeting <laughs> where he offers protection money to the, uh, the, the sort of communist and labor, uh, activists of the workers who are all being laid off by a rich, uh, dude who, who's the guy who actually own, who's the employer. I think Benicio del Toro works he's for the, him. He, yeah, he plays he's, a yeah, named he's Gaspar. The, the heavy um yeah so he's he's the benicio del toro is the gangster who works for the employer and so basically i, I it's don't like, who, i who, don't who, know who 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 is the employer 
Yeah, it's, it, I'm blanking on it now uh, because the rest of the cast is all a bunch of uh, Italian men. Uh, so uh, I don't, I can't, I can't distinguish their names out of that. But either way, it's worth. Basically, the the point is, is that Vincent Gallo is the youngest brother of this gangster family, and he has uh, sort of blue collar working class. Uh, sympathies and he believes that they should be using you know their sort of muscle and their game in town to be helping the employees actually keep their jobs and maintain their workers rights whereas Benicio del Toro has kind of sold out and he's a gangster who is now working for the business owners and who believes that they should take money to actually fuck over the union, mm-hmm. which is something that, you know, Christopher Walken and uh, Chris Penn's character who are playing Ray and Chez, the two brothers of Vincent Gallo, um, they don't really have his same political convictions in the same way. They're like, we go where the money is. And they basically live to regret that because the reason it's called the funeral is uh, Vincent Gallo is killed. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of elliptically revealed throughout the film but essentially he was killed um you know because he was a he's a bit of a character and vincent gallo definitely plays him very uh you know with with a couple uh eccentricities i'll say and he's very well known he's very abrasive he gets into fights at the bars and he goes for nights out on the towns where he sleeps with everyone's wives and you know he's he's very politically outspoken eventually he gets himself killed and the rest of the movie you know, it starts at the funeral for Gallo by, um, you know, Ray and Chez and all the family gathering. And the rest is a series of flashbacks, just grief stricken flashbacks, essentially, where they are just kind of like regretful about everything that led up to what happened. And you're kind of, you know, delivered a bunch of the information on what actually went down over the course of the flashbacks. But the structure that Ferreira and St. John give this is that you're, you're essentially just watching nothing but the pure expression of uh, guilt by these brothers. And it wouldn't be a Ferreira movie if it wasn't, uh, you know, Catholic guilt specifically. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, of course. (laughs) So these guys are very, very sad about the loss of their brother and how that is also tied into, you know, um, other, systems of of power and politics as well but yeah very interesting i think structure to it because again this isn't shot with the sort of beauty of something like king of new york it doesn't have the wonderful colors and the amazing camera moves and uh but it it maintains that existentialism by just trimming all of that and just making it nothing but like the the sadness and the doom um i kind of described it that this is you know this would be like if uh if a Godfather movie didn't have any of the bells and whistles of at least, you know, the beauty of the, you know, the locations that they're yeah. in and yeah, the, well, the, well, the, the great suits that they have. And <laughs> of course, yeah, I mean, it's depression era. So it's yes. like, it's a depression with a capital B. Um, and and the, the thing about like, yeah, both of these movies are sad, but the thing with a, with a movie like King of New York, it, it, it's got this, this vi- it's this colorful, kind of funny like yeah it's got an energy about it kind of like how like you watch a movie like do the right thing which is very upsetting and very dark but also like it's summertime everyone's running around with the fire hydrants and it's funny and there's life to it where it's like you have these ebbs and flows right whereas this movie 
<laughs> there's nothing really funny about it. The funeral, pure there's nothing funny. It's pure yeah. grief and misery. The, the only like things that are kind of funny are like watching it and being like, wow, Vincent Gallo is just playing Vincent Gallo <laughs> minus the, yeah. the, the the only thing that doesn't ring true uh, to Vincent Gallo about this movie is the the socialist element yes <laughs> uh, that, that's the only but other than that he's just he's going full gallo and he's oh dude yeah he's he's, he's, he's kind of slimy using, looking he's <laughs> even using his his own catchphrases like he said he says you're a pig you're a filthy disgusting diseased pig which i have heard <laughs> vincent gallo call many people pigs in inter- like pig is one of his trigger words for some reason anyway uh yeah but so with the exception of vincent gallo being a nut there's nothing really funny uh, about this movie it's it's pure misery pure grief and uh it's Mm -hmm. great well yeah yeah no you go jimmy i was just gonna say like gallo does bring kind of like what you were saying that that energetic quality to the film a little bit with his character and that i think it, it makes sense that once he is gone and it's all based around just surrounding his dead body and grieving it, that's just where all that, that misery oh, yeah. comes in because now the energetic exactly. part of the it's film so is empty. gone. Yeah. It's just completely gone now. It's dead in front of you in the room. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And the way that it flows just in the beginning, like what, like we said, we have Gallo in the theater looking at the movie, watching the movie. And then the next scene you get is the coffin being brought into the house. And then the, the director, yeah. he fixes the body up, like he touches him up with makeup and things like that in front of the family. It, it, I just found that very interesting. Yeah, the, 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 those two the, the images from Gallo. Gallo. Yeah, from Gallo like watching the '30s film to being dead in the casket while this like mournful Billie Holiday song is playing and yeah. the family is just screaming and and crying and before you're introduced to any of this and I also like too that that opening scene sets up that like Walken um, has this more again sort of like controlled calculated presence yes um and obviously he's feeling you know kind of distressed and we see actually a moment where you know he eventually does go to the coffin around the halfway point of the movie and he's very uh he does a a kind of thing i haven't seen him do which is kind of like this this kind of like whisper grunting kind of um, talk that he has with his dead brother which is i thought was an interesting choice from him as an actor but he's so different for example than when you get to see uh, Chris Penn walk in oh, dude, and he goes yeah. my baby brother and he starts dude, like just just raging out. out and spitting out and just slapping and stretching and like pulling his face what and I, like what I just love going psycho about the beginning of that when Chris Penn comes in is that at first it has that kind of really um, that, that sad and awkward kind of silence that goes on at a funeral and everyone's kind of whispering rather than talking. But then the moment that Chris sees his brother, that's when everything just kind of comes up to the surface and he, he just starts screaming. Yeah. And, and I, I, once again, just really appreciated that, that contrast there in the scene. Going, going back yeah. to what you said, Josh, about uh, the Cassavetes comparison, uh, so wh- when I first saw this movie, I, I remember reading someone, I think it was a uh, shout out to the god Neil Bader. Um, he made that comparison about how this is like uh, Ferreira at his most Cassavetes. And then, uh-huh. uh, but like, I, I kind of forgot about that. And then rewatching this, because I, I also watched this senior year of college the first time. And then rewatching this, 
And I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, okay, I see it. But then I was like thinking, I was like, what would the the Cassavetes version of this movie look like? And then I started seeing all this, like, I was going through it in my head. And then after a while, I was like, oh, wait, that's just Husbands. I was like, like, oh, husbands, that's the one. So, yeah, this is is kind of the Ferreira version of uh, husbands. (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely see that. A little bit. I think it's it's just very interesting. Like, it's basically just like the anti-King of New York. Like, it was so funny watching the King of New York interviews that he was doing where – you know, he he was basically talking about he did all these expressive sequences and the and like yes, people acknowledge that they captured these lonely existential feelings of this character who's been marked for death and trying to change you know sort of like the material surroundings using power and everything. But like I guess um, the way that he looked at it was that the cult following kind of like was very romantic around the film. You know, I think he even mentioned that like um, Biggie Smalls, the night he died, was checked in in his hotel by the name Frank White. So he was saying that, you know, that 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 like it's kind of picked up in that kind of uh, Scarface kind of way. So when he was making the funeral, he was like, no car chases, no shootouts, no anything. This is like this is like he wants to make just the absolute most unromantic gangster Gangster film that there's ever been. And that's where the Cassavetes, I think, comes in as well, because if there's anything you can say about Cassavetes, like, again, he has a lot of bleeding heart for the characters, but they are not romanticized versions of domestic dramas. They are the mm-hmm. complete opposite. They are, you know, trying to be, you know, as, I guess, a quote-unquote, because people always mistake... um I guess his quality of trying to be real with being like unscripted, but his movies are like incredibly scripted. They are just very messy, very intentionally messy and give room for actors to incorporate so many emotions and histories and feuds that they spent, you know, weeks or months developing, you know, so that they could have, you know, uh, immediate reactions to each other. And that's definitely where you get, the Cassavetes thing in this film because you know the relationship between for example Christopher Walken and and Chris Penn they actually spend a good portion of the movie like away from each other kind of sulking in their own misery and in their own uh, memories of the Vincent Gallo character but when they're in the same room together it is just like it's painful it's you want to you want to look away from it you're like just stop talking (laughs) one one stop screaming one scene that that comes out to me a little bit is when uh, it's actually Chris Penn and Gallo and it's when they're fighting and Abel has Mm. just kind of one shot on them. It it rarely cuts, I think. And it's just them just yelling at each other. Like Gallo's saying that he's, you know, better than, than Penn and, and Penn is just kind of yelling at him back saying he doesn't have any respect. And then at the same time, Penn's wife is also kind of in the background yelling and he has a moment where he goes up to her and kind of threatens her, but doesn't go through with it. And there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of moments in that scene where I felt like it could have been improvised because it has such a sporadic feel to it. But there were just so many dramatic beats that I felt needed to be directed that it couldn't possibly be just wholly improvised. So I did get a mix of that a little bit in certain. I I think I think with scenes like that where it's like fighting, it very well could have been improvised because when you're that emotional, you're spitting, you're spluttering, you're you're saying (laughs) all sorts of crazy stuff. And when you like, I mean, they probably had to do that scene a couple of times. So like when Mm -hmm. you're when you're doing that scene, like 
I don't know, three, four times, if the words, uh, when said this in the same sequence, start to lose their value. So very well have could have been like, you yeah. know, a new variation of what was written. There's, there's also mm-hmm. well, and, and the the acting is so good it's almost convincingly happening that way. Anyway. And again, yeah, Vincent yeah. Gallo is t- is saying things I would a thousand percent see him <laughs> saying in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, she 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 ain't going until I get late. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you understand? Yeah. But, but then he's like, he's like, oh, great, talk to your wife like that. Like, great, yeah, you're so great. And he's like, I'm so much better than you. And it's like you're the scummiest fuck. Like, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that moment when he's like shit talking his friend who's having sex with a prostitute right in front of him. First of all, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a Gaspar's girl still, isn't it? I oh, think really? I actually think it's a different. Oh, I it's th- a different oh, no, maybe girl. Maybe it is. Well, I, I, I'm, it, it I might be, be conflating it because of the red hair. But yeah, he, he's he's having sex. He's just watching them have sex. And he's just like, you're disgusting. You're <laughs> like he's just saying all this stuff and he's like going off about how like you know I think movies are the only thing life worth living Hell yeah. <laughs> and then his yeah. friend finishes up and then he goes over like stands over the girl I don't think he, he screws her at that moment but he like gives he her a big her. He, wet he kiss. starts making out with her yeah. like the second his friend pulls out yeah. right after he was talking about like you know uh, calling his friend uh, a filthy, diseased, ass-fucking pig with yeah. no conscience. Yeah, 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 his friend's a degenerate, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah. Not Gallo, yeah, and his though. friend's like, you read too many books, it's fucking up your brain. And, he, <laughs> and Vincent Gallo's going on this monologue about how that's the American that's... tragedy, that we, we need distraction. Yeah. <laughs> All we got so... is books, radio, and movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what another, uh, uh, there's another digression, but... Uh, I love when that scene when they're in the uh, the old timey porn, like they're watching the old timey porn. Oh, yeah. Like yes. they, they've all got their what? side girls, and Vincent Gallo just is for some reason as an with old, an old woman, woman. <laughs> senior day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's making out with her. He's got his arm around. It's just so. It is so funny. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> No, so the Vincent Gallo. Gallo character, like, like this is this is what's so interesting is that this these flashbacks, which are kind of like these these sort of like half remembered yeah. sequences that we're getting from the points of view of the Christopher Walken character and the Chris Penn character, who are kind of remembering their brother, and also giving us context for the kind of person he was, like why someone maybe would have wanted to kill him, for example. It seems like they wanted to kill him at certain parts in their life. But like these are the moments that are filled with so much life because the Vincent Gallo character just has such a personality to mm-hmm, him. And yeah. obviously he also has like real beliefs and convictions and he believes in, you know, sort of like helping the workers out and going out and being part of his community in a way that they, you know, were willing to just kind of take the money to just, you know, protect the employers and stuff like that. Like we get to see him do uh, boardwalk empire shit like uh, prohibition era gangster shit like going and stealing uh, uh, what, what does he steal in the opening uh, in the car truck? that he like burns down yeah what's in the truck I can't remember 
I can't remember either. I, I, I couldn't remember if it was booze or if it was like dresses or something. Either way, it's always I, very funny I when you go back like to Prohibition era gangster stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like what they were stealing was just so funny every time. Right. That's part of the enjoyment of Boardwalk Empire. If you've, ne- if you've never seen it, just Steve Buscemi, like just stealing stuff. You're like, is that really that it's, valuable? It's usually booze or right. cigarettes, right? Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I think that that's such a such an important part of the film is that Vince, like when you're watching these sort of half remembered flashbacks and you're getting the feeling of, you know, the brother's knowledge in their involvement and how essentially inevitable this kind Mm -hmm. of tragedy was. It turns into kind of like this brooding morality play of like, what did these brothers do to bring this on themselves? And they immediately go, well, of course it's everything to do with, you know, um, his his political beliefs and what's so funny is that it's not it's even pettier than that yeah uh which is kind of like a reveal that kind of happens later in the film Mm. but you understand why they immediately think that as well and also you know the fact that all of these kind of hurt feelings and memories they have of their brother are also tied into just these wonderful kind of details that i'm gonna credit saint john with but uh, you know, Frero was obviously very close with him in a lot of the screenplays that he wrote, but like some of the great, really bleak detail of this film, like obviously there's some gross detail with the Val- the the Gallo character, but also stuff like just a brief aside where you find out earlier in the film that their father committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one boy over, I think it's the, it's, it's the Chez, it's the Chris Penn character who I think overhears the priest talking to his mother, talking about what a sin it was that he's Mm -hmm. left his family like alone and everything like that. And, um, so, uh, which obviously signals what we're going to get to when we talk about the end of the film. But then you also (laughs) get flashbacks to like the, the walk-in character when he was a kid where they treat it like a bar mitzvah, uh, of him executing a man. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just so fucking. You're a man now, son. (laughs) Yeah, and and that that slow push in on the kid's face after he shoots the guy, and there's just like complete silence after that, and then it cuts back to Walken talking to Gallo in his casket, saying that he caught a good break by dying. Yeah, that it's it, it, like living is misery. <laughs> like just yeah, so like this is just you know again, and I think the way that you know, St. John and Frera have structured this. You just get a series of montages of just characters going through the most like spiritual and philosophical crisis you could possibly, and moral crisis that, you know, criminal characters could possibly have. And it just becomes a series of just grief stricken, guilt ridden conversations that eventually drive these memories on how they got there, how it was ingrained in them as children, and you know how they can't escape it that the end result is obviously that they're all gonna wind up like johnny yeah and just with yeah it's very very brutal and just with like incredibly short moments honestly of of brotherhood like they have some images and shots of them like you know putting their arms around each other and singing at the bar and that kind of stuff just to remind you that there is some some love there um but the, most of it is just dealing with like their interpersonal issues and then their their own grief and how that that erupts into anger and violence and and things like that. But um, I found it interesting that he only like very shortly puts in those those moments of brotherhood to still remind you, but that it's still surrounded in all of this 
this kind of uh, this violence. Yeah, there, there's there's a part where they're all hugging each other and getting photos taken, like right. at the bar and having a good time, right. and then cut to like. Uh, the priest showing up at the house and uh, Artie being like, forget last rites. What they need in there is an exorcism. (laughs) 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 Which is, you know, there's, there's a lot of great uh, uh, lines in, in, in here as well. Um, But yeah, some, just some of the, the, you know, the, the buildup to where, you know, this is going. Cause again, both of these films, I think are structured in a way where like, they kind of feel like they came up with the ending and then they were like, okay, how do we get here? in like the most painful way possible. (laughs) (laughs) And they get Um, there and they, they do it. (laughs) Do they? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I, I think about like too, like just some of the, um, you know, the, the way that they also like kind of, they all have like wives or girlfriends or something like that. And uh, the way that, you know, they're obviously trying to be there for their brothers, for these brothers who are grieving. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're like trying to talk them out of like what it was that got Johnny killed because they were like, well, obviously he got killed because you guys are fucking well-known criminals in town <laughs> um, and getting revenge isn't really going to like solve anything. And I love the scene where Walken is like trying to come up with like um, uh, like a like a biblical rationale <laughs> for yeah. why getting revenge isn't a bad thing, <laughs> yeah. for example. I can't remember the the exact lines he gets. I'll probably find it in my notes here at some point. But like, I, I love him talking about like, well, you know, if I if I did that, you know, uh, if I do something bad, it's because God didn't give me the grace not to do it. So it's his fault. I didn't make the world or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just live in it. Yeah. Uh, and he's coming up with all these rationales for why they should go and kill the Benicio del Toro character because that's who they assume is the one who killed Johnny because uh, one. Vincent Gallo, you know, had obviously left-wing politics that rubbed up against Benicio del Toro, who worked for the boss. But then also, Vincent Gallo was sleeping with his wife. wife. Yeah, of course. Yeah, which is you know, which is a makes a more personal reason for for him to die. Yeah. So yeah, they they immediately assume um, that Benicio del Toro um, has done it, and I love the moment. <laughs> I actually really love the scene where they bring Benicio del Toro in. To, yeah. like Chris Walken brings him into the bar or whatever. And uh, he just, he spends most of the scene just holding a giant oh, axe. A battle axe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, the shot of him just holding it while Del, Tor- Del Toro is just sitting in the chair looking at it is, it, it is an incredible image to watch. It is great. Walken holding that thing. Yeah. I love it. It was, it's, it's also like very unlike the, the vibe of the movie. Like if there was like just, uh, at that point, like just some axe murdering going on, like that would yeah. not be. It would the, suit it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, how are we? Are, are we gonna get into spoilers on this? What? Are oh we yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let's do okay. it. Yeah, go Let's nuts. Go, okay. for it. go nuts. So, you know, th- this whole movie, right? Walken basically wants to. Uh, he wants vengeance. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. yeah, and and and, and you, you assume that Chris Penn also wants vengeance, but he well, said he spends Chris, a good por- portion Chris of the movie dealing with like Chris a battle tenant style driving around he's, crying. He's, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. he's a mentally ill person and he's doing his own thing. Yes. He's, yeah. 
But in which, the- which I was going to say, because speaking of which his, his moment, which I think is so sort of like morally and philosophically, like what the film is doing, but is so fucking terrifying is the scene where he like rapes the, the child girl. prostitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He's like, you're a baby, you're a child, you're a beautiful girl. And she wants, you know, uh, yeah, he it, offers it's, it's horrible because you can see he's like trying to fight with his demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's he, he's going. I know it's wrong to uh, pay for sex with a child, but she. There's this very interesting twist that happens in the scene where he offers her like four times her rate of twenty to. So instead of five dollars, twenty dollars. No, he says he goes. He yeah. goes. He goes five bucks. To uh, let me give you five bucks. You leave. And she goes. How about ten? And we fuck. And he goes. How about I give you twenty? And and then yes. that, and then he's like and. You're selling your soul. Then he rapes her, basically. And then he's yeah. like, "Yeah, that, wanted that, the that, that's, He's devil. like, "You wanted the, you made a deal with the devil. You wanted the twenty. You get the twenty. Are you like him? Yeah. And he's like it's screeching. Terrifying. His voice up is against, cracking. Uh, up against this concrete wall, this rocky, yeah. horrible wall. I remember the first time I watched that. That wall was so, like, it just. Of all of the surfaces it could have been, that's like <laughs> yeah. the worst possible one. Yeah. I don't know why. It just is awful. Um, I think it so just yeah. accents the lack of any intimacy whatsoever. And uh, and then having his performance be just so um, just uncontrolled. Over the seems, top, yeah. Yeah, that, that it just, it, it really adds to that. And I mean, you see, obviously this guy's a piece of shit. You do see him struggling throughout this film. And then he, he kind of takes steps at that get worse and worse and worse. And that is probably the... Uh, the worst one. Yeah. So well, because yeah. this is this is I think what's so interesting about the film overall, because especially the "don't fuck with the devil" line, and because yeah. Gallo uh, at one point says, "You want to make that rich, that scumbag rich," and like you guys are making a deal with the devil, like they he says stuff like that. So it's like this this thing of, you know, they think they got their brother killed by mm-hmm. making a deal with the devil, by making a deal with the boss, um, yeah, and that that resulted in his death. So now he is sort of dissuading himself or relieving himself of guilt by convincing himself that this girl made a choice, that she made a deal with the devil, and that's what happens when you make a deal with the devil. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, now that she's mm-hmm. taken the money, she's she's worthless. And and it's it's interesting because like this is obviously a really brutal act, but oh, yeah. in like psychologically, this is him convincing himself that he's not guilty while doing something, like, something that is so horrible on yeah. screen that you can't possibly not be guilty of. And like yeah, that contradiction I think is like honestly part of the key of the movie. Like yeah. the first time I watched that scene, I remember just feeling like very sort of like well, put off by it and yeah. then on this watch I was like holy shit this is actually like kind of like the point of the movie yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to I don't know if we want to jump to it there I just want to make this this small point but like you said it's that that contradiction that he's going through there's a, a very similar thing that happens at the very end that Penn uh, does and there's a lot of contradictions in what he says and what he does during that scene as well uh, so he is mm-hmm. just constantly fighting himself and those demons yeah yeah Let's let's maybe leave out the very end. Yeah, yeah. But, but other than that, let's go crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so 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 yeah. you got that brother. You got him who's who's uh, mentally ill. He's he's going on his own journey. Yeah, he's got his <laughs> own thing. You have you have Gallo in the box. It's mostly he, a journey in his mind. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then and then you have Walken who you know he's talking with his cronies. 
and he's he they're they're being like maybe it was this guy maybe it was this guy like you know Gaspar he's got a reason like he was fucking his wife he was doing this he was doing that and walking is like who gives a fuck what the reason is like I don't give a fuck what the reason is whoever it is I don't care how valid it is they're gonna die that's what he <laughs> yeah. said he's setting up that stance right and then yeah so then. You have the scene where he meets up with Gaspar and he's like, you fucking killed my brother. And he's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, what? Yeah. Why don't you come take a walk with me? And he takes him to the uh, the house to show him the body because bullet wounds. Uh, th- there's this old Italian saying that the bullet yeah, hole, yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll bleed when the, the killer is there. <laughs> Not bleeding. So he believes, and he genuinely believes, he's like, all right, Benicio didn't do it. Gaspar didn't do it. So he's like, he he tells one of his boys to take him home. Gaspar gets out of the house. And before his boy leaves the house, he goes, he goes, uh, wait, I think I have it written down. He says, shoot Gaspar, Gaspar on his front lawn, in front of his children, <laughs> oh, in front yeah. of his wife. He tells him anyway. He knows at this point, he knows he didn't kill his brother. Yeah. And he still wants to kill him. Now let's flash forward. In a brutal way, too. In a brutal way, in front of his wife, in front of his kids. Now we flash forward. We find out who the killer is. Now the the guy who killed, anyone want to say the story so I'm not hogging all the, the mic? Uh... No, uh, uh, no, go ahead. for it. Yeah, go okay. Ahead. Well, so okay, we find out who the killer is. They've been his boys have been beating the shit out of this guy, just fucking yeah. in the meat locker, just pummeling him. Um, he takes him out back, and he's like, "Why'd you kill my brother? I don't know who the fuck you are. You're just some random punk. Why'd you kill my brother?" And the guy tells him, "He's like, he raped my girlfriend. He beat her up and he raped her." And Walken is like. Scott, Fuck. now yeah. so, suddenly he's like, oh shit, like, <laughs> maybe, like he's thinking, he's like, okay, maybe a reason does matter. He's right, thinking yeah. a reason at this point. Gaspar, he just killed do, for no yeah. reason in front of his <laughs> wife and child. He found out he doesn't kill him. Like, he didn't kill him, and he's like, no, let's do it anyway. This guy, he, now he hears the why. And uh, he's like, okay, I'm going to have to think about this. <laughs> and he's about to let the kid go. And he goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. He raped your girlfriend. And then the guy, the, now at this point, the guy is starting to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm through it. I'm through the, the, the wire. Like, I can, just, <laughs> I can just be truthful now. He's like, all right, that's not what happened. He beat me up in front of my girlfriend and my friends, and I wanted to teach him a lesson because he made me feel like a loser. <laughs> it's like, and then it like, brings his like morality into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then Watkins so says petty. a great line. He he has the greatest speech. I I couldn't write it down, but he's he's like he's like he's like uh, how could I let you live? Like like he's like. He, he also makes a great line about how how people don't tell the truth, and he goes, 
it's a it's a flaw in the criminal character. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. he, he also says to him too. He goes, uh, "You acted out of anger, so you're dangerous. You have no yeah. respect yeah. for yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. place that, in society. A- Jail is no place for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything he says to the kid is just a complete contradiction. It's like yeah. it's like it's like, buddy. You, I mean, kill him, but and- like what you're saying is like what you've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, because then the guy, the kid asks for mercy. He's just like, well, what about my sense of justice? Yeah, yeah. And the guy says, well, do something good instead of something bad, and that's better than justice. And Walken says, maybe one day they'll find my blood draining in the sewer, and I'll roast in hell. Yeah, but yeah. the trick is to get used to the idea while you're still here, yeah, and then just the shoot that's, <laughs> That is the line. And also, there's a classic Walken inflection when he goes, when yeah. my blood is uh, draining Dream. in the sewer, yeah. it's 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 a classic. <laughs> like, oh, there's our boy. He's yeah. doing it. He's hitting it home. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love how that scene counters how he was doing sort of like a, a bit of Catholic scholarship with his wife earlier in the yeah, film, yeah. too. Because he's literally having the sort of moral philo- philosophical debate about, you know, uh, are... are is the ugliness that you do your choice or is it built into the world? Has God abandoned you? And he, cause he, he blames that it's, that it's God. And he says at one point too, he actually said it to his wife too. Uh, I'll roast in hell, but I'm not ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't make this world. So like, it's the same, it's the same deal. But what's so interesting is that you get sort of brief glimpses on, you know, how it affects kind of everyone else around them. And like, you get the scene where like Chris Penn comes home and like commands, uh, sex from his wife who is both kind of like disgusted and empathetic with him and then you get the scene where I mean he rapes her uh, let's, yes he, he rapes her yes but it is very interesting the because it's um Clara it's Is- Isabel uh, Rossellini from yeah, yeah. Blue Velvet who plays that scene and she plays it very very complicated more yeah, complicated yeah. anyway than than the Annabella character who is like <laughs> through with Walken's shit and how yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, fully fully believes well because she knows she knows her husband. She knows he's right. sick. Yeah. Yeah. And she knows well, I, if I if yeah. I do anything to stop it, it'll make it worse. Yeah. And yeah. and yeah. probably her old Italian uh, ideology is telling her it's not him, it's the demon in him. So like, yeah. you know. Chris Penn plays it that way. We, yeah. We'll give him some credit there. Yes, of course. Of <laughs> yeah, course definitely. he does. Um but there, there's also just something too that, like you know, a lot of the feelings that the Chris Penn character is going through is kind of like what Chris Walken's wife is trying to get him to understand that uh. it partially is their fault on the way that they act. I mean, the priest literally says that praying for you is like no use, like unless there's a complete reversal in this house. Wait, he just, said, he said, he says uh, verbatim. She she goes, um, she says something about praying for us. Uh, and and he he says something about like you have to believe in God, and and she yeah. goes, I uh, she says we do believe in God. And he goes, I don't think any of you are broken enough to believe in in God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's very interesting because like like if Chris Penn is just kind of like the the raw wound, uh, Chris. Walken is like the the sort of like the the attempt at academically rationalizing yeah. using philosophy and morality well, because, to try and yeah, yeah. He's make been a sense of what since, it is that he does. He's been a killer since ten, you know. Yeah, so he's he's got that rock 
that gravelly, that, <clears throat> you know, like, I'm, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I love Christopher Walken's wife, you know, played by Annabella, and she's talking to Gretchen Mole's character, who was like the, uh, who was engaged to the Vincent, Vincent Gallo, Gallo character, and says, "I like you're you're lucky that you didn't marry into this family. Like they're criminals because they've never risen above their heartless, illiterate upbringing. There's mm. nothing romantic about them," is what Ooh. she says. I really like. Um, there's one scene where they're all. Um, uh, praying at the funeral and I thought that it was just kind of cool as they're panning over everyone's praying in Italian and then when you go to Vincent Gallo's wife or girlfriend she's doing it in English and kind of like really mm-hmm. hyper focused on the uh, on the body I just liked that that sense of detail there definitely um, and this brings us to the big moment oh, holy moment hell we've been careful not really to yeah uh, we can't reveal to, it to to spoil i mean we do full spoilers on this show anyway yeah, kind of without yeah, warning, yeah but, for sure but but it, i i think by saving it for the end uh it should relay some of the impact that you feel actually watching the film where it just kind of it doesn't come out of nowhere again there are sporadic detail kind of layered throughout their upbringing and through just like their absolute you know grief-stricken miserable feelings that are all being you know that are basically dictating the structure of the film because their feelings are dictating what flashbacks you're seeing and things like that and then when we get into the present and they're trying to get revenge and it's like literally the it's so funny if you got rid of the flashbacks in the film what actually takes place in the film is that two brothers show up at their one brother's funeral one Mm. just starts rationalizing why it's okay to brutally kill a bunch of people in response to it. And the other one just goes on an animalistic fucking breakdown through the city. Like it's, 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 it's basically a plotless film. If you didn't have the flashback, which again is psychologically tied to the characters. I wonder what would have happened. Cause we don't really see what Chris Penn is up to when he's driving around, you know, cruising. (laughs) like I I love those bad Lieutenant, like, um, uh, shots in the passenger seat of the car though while he's driving but like i wonder what the fuck he's up to yeah that's true (laughs) like uh, uh, i wonder if this was one of those movies where it was cut out and like there's a version where we just see him like you know going hard yeah (laughs) yeah um But yeah, also it's worth noting too that the scene where he kills the boy who basically killed Vincent Gallo just out of some sort of petty beef that they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he finds out again how pointless his brother's death, death was. was to it. It, it. it wasn't actually related to any of the, you know, the actual um, sort of uh, d- drama that you would think or I, his political beliefs or, you know, the way that he treated people. I mean, I guess partially related to the way that he treated people, but <laughs> I like the way that <laughs> just uh, they, uh, in, in a more petty sense. I like the way that they show you the, the Vincent Gallo death too, because it's right after. That's just walking. what I was going to get to. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's right. It's like cut, it's cut from that kid dying yes. to Vincent Gallo dying, which is such a cool cut. And it's really like Gallo's death is particularly sad. I find because he's also surrounded by strangers and he accents that by, like having a point of view shot of Gallo looking at all the strange faces that's surrounding him as he's kind of like crying and knowing yeah. that he's going to die. It's it he's is literally quite going. Sad. It's Vincent Gallo pathetically going, "Help me, yeah, help right. me." Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and then what's crazy too is just the way that all this this kind of this kind of comes together. So you have that, you have the Gallo scene, and then it goes into um, uh, a pen who's like pouring a shot at his bar, thinking about the good times of his brother. He starts uh, digging a hole with like this pickaxe that he has, and mm-hmm. I think is that to bury Johnny. 
he, he he's, he's burying, burying he's kid. burying the body of the boy. Yeah, right, yeah. Of right. The kid who Christopher Walken shot. Got you. Right, right, right. Um, and then that's what leads to the the famous ending scene here. So just just all of those yeah. sequences wrapped together in this like last twenty minutes is just so hard hitting and sad and violent and angry and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's really well done because the way that you tie in the sort of this pointless revenge that Christopher Walken got to the brother's death, right. which yeah. was just, you know, made to be, again, just as sort of like empty in that kind of way. And also, you know, the Vincent Gallo character being so having so much personality and energy to him in the flashbacks. And now these present scenes are just, you know, it's just Christopher Walken rationalizing horrible things and yeah. just Chris Penn you know, in, you know, doing, doing animalistic howls yeah. into the night and doing horrible things. And, and so there's something to be said about like these two brothers who feel so guilty that, you know, that the one brother who resisted the deal with the devil is the one who's gone. Yeah. And nothing because of, you know, the way that they cut from them having a good time with him in the bar to him, then burying a body. It's just like, this is the way things are now. Things are not going to go back to when we had our brother and there's no way. And basically the Chris Penn character just goes, there's no way that I'm going to cope or ever make it the same again. So he takes the exact same escape that their um, father did. And he shows up at the funeral after Christopher Walken tells him, I found the guys. I got him. And Chris Penn, it brings him no relief or any catharsis yep. that Christopher mm-hmm. Walken went out and basically shot just a normal, just shot Benicio del Toro in front of his family and then a young kid. And he's like, there's no glory in that. Nothing changed. Yeah. Um, Hello's still dead. Yeah. And so Chris Penn walks into the funeral in these very flatly shot sort of tracking shots and he shoots his body he shoots christopher walken's bodyguards yeah then he shoots christopher walken which by the way in the same spot that he's coming down the stairs where the kids earlier in the film are playing bang bang shoot him guns yeah yeah which is a and i thought that that was a nice touch that the kids are playing sort of gangsters and then chris walken comes down that same set of stairs and gets shot by his own brother which again you're assuming it's the two brothers who are doing it yeah Mm. such an interesting sort of visual cue yeah and then yeah you just get chris penn just putting the gun in his own mouth and then blowing the top of his head well, but off the, you have the the classic line Isabel little Rosalini is trying to talk him out of it and he goes and live without my brothers yeah yeah cool. oh. so sad uh. and that's that like what I was mentioning earlier is that kind of contradiction it's like he views that they're already dead so he's kind of just like <sighs> doing it I guess but he is partly now a reason why his you know his his whole family now is being killed. So it's just mm-hmm. that it's just those those inner demons that he's constantly fighting, and yeah, this this last scene is in, one of the most <laughs> depressing things I've ever watched. Without a it's doubt, it's brutal. Well, yeah, and 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 two, like again, it's it, it's only hammered home by the fact that the flashback of the Chris Penn as a kid, you know, seeing the priest walk the mother through the father's suicide and talking about mm-hmm. how it was such a sin to do that. But the way that he sees it is they're already living in sin. Yeah. So he's like, why live in sin <laughs> and, and without my brothers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the, the image of the huge squib coming out of his head and his mouth oh, and mouth? stuff like that oh, too in slow-mo. Yeah. Oh man. Ugh. So brutal. And then the, the the ending of the film is just the screaming wives and mothers and the casket of Gallo being closed. And then yeah. bam, 
Yeah. There you go. The funeral. Welcome to the funeral. That's how you make a movie, kids. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ferreira. Also, we yeah. just, I mean, it's probably talked to death at this point. It is important to note that the infamous uh, Conan O'Brien interview was done to promote this film, The Funeral. Oh, that was this one, huh? <laughs> that was this one. Well, that makes of sense course. because of he the barely, story. He barely, <laughs> he barely even got to mention the movie until Conan O'Brien at the, at the end is like, go see The Funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there any other, like, before we, I guess, wrap it up here, are there any other stories about him, like, being on drugs in this, drugs? in this, uh, I during mean, this film yeah, in particular? Probably, probably. I, but not, sure. I, not that, that we're in the know enough gotcha. to know. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But, uh, yeah. Dude. I do, I, I, I do find Vincent Gallo and Abel Ferreira such a hilarious combination of, uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they hate each other now. Uh, apparently, like, he tried to... Uh, Vincent Gallo tried to screw someone Abel was dating or something. Something like that. Which, uh, <laughs> which Abel might have liked, because he kind of has a cuck fetish. But... Anyway. Goddamn. Yeah. Goddamn. But yeah, pivoting uh, towards reductive rating around on the funeral. This one gets the, gets the high for... Um, yeah, from me. I've I this is my second time watching it, and I I only I when I previously watched it, I watched it in kind of like an Abel Ferreira marathon where I watched mm. like fifteen of his movies that I hadn't seen, and uh, this one definitely I think um, you know it, it didn't quite stand out as much as something like New Rose Hotel did or something like that, but I I did um, on the second watch just appreciate it even more and how wonderfully I guess. Um, written it is this is this is very interestingly written and structured and most of the time i feel like my praise for ferrera is in all in the directing which i think is done well here too but it's just this is this is one of his um i guess i feel like you could sit someone down who's never heard of abel ferrera and show them this movie and this would be a very accessible entry point for someone to ferrera which maybe for people who really love ferrera and love everything about his personality that makes it more um i guess sort of commercial or makes it more uh, you think this would be uh, the one you don't think it'd be king in new york I think it'd be king. I mean, I mean that that's just it. I, I, I think that because to me, this movie is not accessible. It is like you got to know what you're getting into. You got to know the guy who's telling you the story. I, I like. I can't imagine someone who's never seen an Abel Ferrera film just like walking into this or like Bad Lieutenant. Or, you know. <laughs> I guess yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're just uh, sick puppies, but I don't <laughs> find this as um, Ferrera uh, aggressive as Bad Lieutenant. I mean, I think it's obviously very depressing and miserable, but I think it is in more of like a. And obviously, it's it's a definitely very not as bad as movie. it's definitely not as bad as Bad Lieutenant. But you get what I mean. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah. or, not or, or even Miss Forty Five. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, that's why I think uh, King of New York would be the 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 perfect entry mm-hmm. point because it's got well, that, King, King of New York definitely for the style. Also, to yeah, yeah. Style, yeah. Bad Lieutenant also has more of like a an energy that's that's more fast paced, whereas this is incredibly depressing, like the majority of the time. Yeah. So I think maybe like I guess it all depends on your taste. Like if you like sad sad movies then you'll take to this um but mm. if you're looking for something that's just kind of like super rough around the edges but still has that fast paced quality i would probably recommend bad lieutenant first mm-hmm. i think um 
But it's hard to say. They're so rough around the edges in general that it's like a particular person is going to take to these movies regardless, yeah. I think. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm the person who recommends people do Driller Killer. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I, we there do. There you yeah. go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's the one that stars Abel as him running around just drilling homeless people at night. If you want to know eating what you're getting pizza, into with Abel Eating Ferreira. fucking pizza the most disgusting <laughs> yes. way I've ever seen anyone eat a fucking slice of pizza. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, get, I guess when it comes to the funeral, I find some of the style to just be a little bit more stripped down and kind of classical. That's true. Um, I would say that. Again, sure. I, I, there are very few films he's done that I guess I would compare to someone like Cassavetes, mm-hmm. um, which, I, which, which I would do here. Um, and, but yeah, I would, I would recommend people, if they can find it, go and, go and check it out. Yeah. It is, again, it's, it's, it's not a traditional um, genre play it's it's all painful flashbacks and you know uh, the sort of knowledge and guilt of these brothers involvement in the inevitable tra- tragedy that sort of take place at the center and them trying to make sort of spiritual and philosophical sense of their own culpability and making a deal with the devil and <laughs> trying to make money and yeah I think I think it's it's got some really grim um stuff in it, but I think that it's very effectively um, doled out in sort of the detail of the writing and especially in the performances as well. I think that Gallo and Penn and Walken are all awesome in very different ways. They're, none of them are giving anything remotely of a similar performance. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree there, especially. Um, yeah, high four out of five for me as well. Uh, I really did enjoy this. Definitely going to be revisiting it a couple times, I think. Um Really appreciated the editing in this. I think it's the way that they cross yeah. between the, the the flashbacks and the present day is is perfect. I feel like it perfectly executes what he's trying to establish. Yeah, you, you're, you feel like you experience it all at once, which yeah. is exactly what they're doing in their heads, right? Right, so. exactly, exactly. Just kind of over the course of um, a funeral for somebody that you're that close with. So. Oh, hey, worth knowing. This was edited by Bill Pankow, who also edited Carlito's Way. Oh, damn. Very awesome. Oh, Very awesome. full circle. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, four out of five, I think the the performances are, are top notch. Like you said, Josh, I love that everybody's doing something different and kind of bringing uh, something to the movie itself. Like what, like we said with Gallo, his his energetic kind of nature brings something to his scenes. And then Watkins kind of somber sadness brings a lot to when he's dishing out this cold revenge. Uh, and then Penn's just absolutely over the top, but really um, believable performance, I think, is is something I have to respect because he really just put himself out there. And anytime some an actor does that, I, I have a lot of respect for that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, four out of five. This was this was great for you, Rob. Uh, for me, yeah, definitely a four out of five bagger. Um, I, I love it. I, I was glad to revisit this one because it, it's been like, I don't know, three Three years, geez, that's close mm. by quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of the reason I asked you to come on was because of your your letterbox log of it a few years ago, yeah, where, yeah. You, where you where you were the one who uh, brought me the amazing story of how the, the Abel crack. Ferreira was on so much crack <laughs> that uh, yeah. he, he just he was trying to pickpocket Vincent Gallo yeah, in yeah. our production <laughs> instead um, of being on. So <laughs> every time yeah, I hear it, all, I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Crack specifically, of all the things, yeah. like, who knows what he's on, but the, the, just the fact that Vincent Gallo, like, here, I, when I read that quote, I hear him in my head, Abel Ferrer was on so much fucking crack, like, just, anyway, anyway, um, yeah, it's a beautiful film, 
I love Christopher Walken. I I love Gallo. <laughs> he's he's such a he's such a fun person to watch. Yeah, he's just such being, a character. Being a hor- horrible. Uh, uh, really quick, Vincent Gallo story. Uh, have you heard what he said? What he said about Francis Ford Coppola years ago before he did Tetro? No, no. So he, so Vincent Gallo, like you know, there there's a quote about him talking shit about everyone. Like he's, but uh, he was in the Francis Ford Coppola movie Tetro, and then there was like years later, there was like a leaked, like leaked interview of Vincent Gallo. From way before he did Tetra, talking about Francis Ford Coppola and Sophia, and he's like, "She's a little fucking whore," like, and he's a pig. He's a big fat pig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah, he's a legend. Uh, Chris Penn, fucking, I love Chris Penn. I think he's so much. Uh, wrong kid died. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. Chris Penn. Wrong kid died. Sorry. Oh. Fuck Sean. Uh, I love Chris Penn. I love I love all the even ladies. though we did love Sean last time you were on the show. That's Carlito's true. way. Oh uh, yeah, Carlito's of course. Way. You're right. Well, hey, you're, you're right. You're right. He, he he has some he has some bangers, no doubt about it. But Chris, he he is uh, he is the Tony Scott of the Penn family. Yeah, I'll, and I'll leave it at that. Well said. Well said. Mm-hmm. Well, and and man, Chris. I to, to do Reservoir Dogs followed by like True Romance followed by this. Yeah, that's man. like crazy. He's now, it's been a while since I've seen True Romance. Does he do a lot of screaming in that one? Uh, he he's one of the he's one of the cops in the big climactic set piece, right? I don't remember. I don't you know, think he does I, a lot of uh, I screaming. I think he's trying to play. I the literally in, in, do not remember any of True Romance except for the the classic uh, N word bit with the. Uh, <laughs> With the Sicilian, Chris Walken. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the only thing I remember. But I do remember uh, in the end of Reservoir Dogs when he's like, "Larry, stop pointing that fucking gun at my dad." He's just, <laughs> yeah. he, he just decides out of the fucking blue. Anyway, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. No, Chris Penn. Chris Pan, this, is, yeah. this is this is one of his best performances that I've seen. I mean, Without I may need doubt. to watch some more, but this is great. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that wraps it up for this week. That was King of New York from 1990 and The Funeral from 1996. Thanks so much, Rob, for joining us and, and breaking down these uh, these these films with us. Yeah. Uh, if you've got anything that you want the people to know about. Yeah, well, well, so uh, once again, thank you for having me. Uh, Of course. Hopefully hopefully we'll do it again soon, Uh, maybe a little shorter than a year. Yeah, uh, Well, well, who knows? Um, But it was great, great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, most of most of you guys probably know me on Twitter, but you can follow me at Responsible Rob. Also, uh, he's very responsible. Also, (laughs) if you want to give me a job. (laughs) <laughs> I, I like. I, I need a job. If you, no, if, no one's done that yet. I like. I'm, I'm, you know, someone I, crowdsource uh, Rob listen, a job. I'm in LA. <laughs> I'm doing it big. I'm hire me uh, if you've got if you've got clout. Put me in your movie. 
If, if but if 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 you if you suck, miss me with that shit. I I, I don't want to be in, in just anyone's movie. Same with your podcast. Ask me to be on your podcast if you've got the juice. If you don't got the juice, don't ask me to be on your podcast. Um, but so yeah, Twitter at responsible Rob. Uh, hire me at whatever OnlyFans. I don't care. There you go. And uh, it was good talking to you boys. I'll see you on the War Zone. <laughs> Absolutely. Hell yeah. Thanks so much, Rob. Uh, for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time for a bonus episode over on the Patreon where we're going to be talking about, finally, Lau Karlung. Yeah. Uh, we we only talked about him once when we did uh, Drunken Master and Drunken Master 2, which he was the uh, co-director on Drunken Master 2 with Jackie. Damn, I need to rewatch uh, that. That's fucking banger. They're so good, yeah. Yeah, they're so good. And we we set up that eventually we were going to do some Lau Karlung, and that was like, what, in our first year of doing the pod, and we just haven't got around to it yet. Damn, so, uh, you got two big for your own podcast <laughs> I know so one of our patrons yourself. one of our patrons finally was like you guys really have to do 36 Chamber of Shaolin and 8 Diagram Pole Fighter uh, so that's what we're doing next week we're talking about some classic Kung Fu uh, cinema over on the Patreon, some of the most uh, beautiful and like pageant-like wire yeah. slash uh, athletic stunts that you will ever see, a combination of the two. Some of the fastest kung fu oh, that yeah. you'll ever see. Unbelievable. I can't even, my, it makes my head spin. Um, and then in two weeks' time for the free listeners, we're going to be back. Uh, I don't know if this is 100% confirmed yet, but I'll say it anyway. I think that that Candyman movie is coming out. The new one. Oh, nice. So I think we're going to talk about Candyman and Tales from the Hood with a special guest. Cool. Uh, which should be fun. I, 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 this episode was supposed to be put in when the Candyman was supposed to come out like a year and a half ago. So I'm just tentatively throwing it in here now, <laughs> assuming that that's still going to happen. That it's all going to work so, out. So yeah. hopefully that's what we're doing with a guest in two weeks. Candyman and Tales from the Hood. And I haven't seen Tales from the Hood. So it's great. I'm, it's really I've, good. I've heard it's I've heard it's really fun though. Yeah. So I liked it a lot. Have you, have, have either of you guys seen uh Bones? With uh Snoop no. Dogg? Yeah. I have, but I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, so I Maybe really maybe consider tying that into the the whole shebang bang, because that is another banger. Yeah, that's the that's the one by um Ernest Dickerson, right? Yep. It's sick. The guy who uh, Spike Lee cinematographer? Yeah, of course. I remember liking it back when I watched it, but it Dude, has it's been like sick. twelve years. But. It's it is sick. So, and it fits Wait. into the, the the theme of also be kind of awesome to talk about Snoop. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, yeah, fellas, only, he, he's only ever partially come up in Deep Cover because he did the song for Deep Cover. Right, right. <laughs> oh, right. did he? Damn, yeah. I, I need to rewatch that too. Too many movies, so little time. That is. Uh, exactly what our show is about. But thanks so much, Rob, for uh, joining us again. And uh, we will see everyone soon. All right. Um, Yeah. Hopefully. Out in the world, watching movies again. Yeah. Take it easy, fellas. All right. Uh, So that'll wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Heck yeah.